The show starts in three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Today we have another very special interview for you from Omaha, Nebraska. He's the host of the podcast Amon Green's Gamer Lounge and the esports head coach for Lakeland University. In his professional football career, he was selected to four Pro Bowls and holds many records for the Green Bay Packers, including the all time franchise rushing record. His nickname is Batman, but we know him as Amon Green. There goes that man's jacha. <laughs> oh my God, did you see that? <laughs> America's team? Yeah, right. Oh, baby, it's a big day in sports. There's nothing like battling it out with your teammates all season long to go win a championship. Green Bay's got it this year. Huge move for him. I think it's going to be a game changer. We have a lot to talk about this busy week in the sports world. Welcome to the In a League of Their Own podcast. The In a League of Their Own podcast is brought to you exclusively by YouTube. Buy golf kicks. Screw your shoes. Buy Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Buy Canadips. And buy Streamer Loot. Check out the In the League of Their Own merch line today. Welcome to the show. Here are your hosts, Austin and Colin. Hey, Aman. How is it going? Pleasure to have you on. Going good. Thanks for uh, having me on on board, Colin, Austin. Um, hope everything's Hope your day's going good as well. Yeah, it has been. It's been a long time coming, us being huge Packer fans and also living in the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, this is an honor to have you on. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, so kind of kicking things off, um, from my understanding, you grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, as a kid, uh what was your inspiration to get involved in sports given Nebraska doesn't have any professional sports teams? <laughs> Very true. Um, so say my child, like I was born there. And then uh, what a, a lot of people don't know, and you're going to learn now is that I was born in Nebraska, but then raised in Los Angeles, California. And so that's where I got introduced to, to, to video games and traditional sports. Hey, Colin. So, um, so that's when it started. It started with little league flag football. Um, when I was six and then uh, played two years of that and then my dad basically told my mom because my mom didn't want me to play tackle football because she didn't want her baby to get hurt but my dad was like he's ready you know he's ready to play he plays you know he played flag football for two years but then also he was I was playing in the front yard with uh, 13 and 12 year olds playing tackle football so obviously without pads but getting tackled and hit by the bigger kids and my dad you know would watch me play and he knew I would you know I was ready for it so that's when uh, I say turning eight. That's when I started playing Pop Warner football at the Baldwin Hills uh, uh, football, uh, Pop Warner football out in Los Angeles. It's a community there. And uh, I actually first year was I, I played cornerback. I was a DB for most of the first half of that first 90 percent of that season. And then the last two games I got switched, finally got a chance to play running back. It was and it was is a quite adventure, uh, quite of an adventure for my first year of Pop Warner which could have, I say it could have ended my career before I even got started. So that first season of tackle at Baldwin Hills, I don't know what I had did. I still don't know to this day, uh, but my head coach at the time, his name was Coach Gary. And he had, he, he had a little, I guess I was a thorn in his side uh, as a player. I don't know how I could have done that at eight. Uh, <laughs> I didn't talk a whole lot. I didn't run my mouth. I was uh, one of them kids I was raised 
basically told you speak when spoken to. So I was like, okay, I know I didn't say a lot to him as a, as a player, you know, and a coach. I, and I played flag football for two years and I knew to listen to my coach and don't talk back. Don't talk to teachers, parents, stuff like that. So I was like always curious on why uh, he had that bone to pick with me. But as it was, I just played, you know, I took it as, okay, you know, this is, I just got to keep working hard, you know, and that's where I guess I started to become a grinder. And it's like, I'm just grinding this thing out, you know, see how it goes. I'm, I like DB. I'm not the best at it. I was like, I knew that I had to cover the receiver. I knew I had to make sure I made tackles. Um, but my footwork, my quickness, my side to side wasn't really great, but I had speed. So when a uh, running back or not running, or a running back or a wide receiver would catch the ball on me, I knew I could run them down. I knew I had enough speed to catch them and tackle them. And so that was kind of like my MO. I would get beat on the pass, but then boom, I made the tackle. And uh, so the season continued to go on and it was brought to my attention by my teammates, actually. You know, they said, hey, man, you know, we noticed that Coach Gary has it out for you. Seem like he's on you hard. And Amon, all you do is practice hard and you don't say much. I'm like, right. Um, I don't know. He's like, they was like, you do anything to him? You say anything? I'm like, no. I said, because I would be in trouble <laughs> with my mom or dad if like, they found out that I was talking back or doing something I shouldn't have been doing with my coach. And so when they mentioned that, then I started, you know, I was like thinking on my own, thinking back to all the stuff that happened during the season and things he either had me do. He had me run extra laps around the park for conditioning by myself. You know, the whole team, we were run as a team. Then he's like, green, go get another lap. I'm like, <laughs> What? Okay. I'm like, all right. I'm sitting there jogging, running around the park all by myself. Like, what did I do? I don't know. Um, and so I brought it up with my dad, and he coached at the same park, but on a different team. And so he wasn't. He was on a younger team. I was on the, the team above his. And so I finally brought it to his attention. I said, Dad, um, my teammates kind of mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and now I'm paying attention to it. I noticed it a little bit too, and uh, he's not really, you know, directly pointing me out, but he's doing things to let him know, let me know that, you know, I did something wrong when I didn't. And he, my dad was like, okay, um, did you talk back to him? Did you say anything disrespectful anything like that? I'm like, no, no, I said, I'm pretty sure I know I didn't do that. Um, cause I knew better. Um, I didn't get my butt whipping back then. So, so he was like, all right, uh, I'll go. When we go to practice tomorrow, I'll go and have a conversation with coach Gary. And so went to bed thinking that went to school, came home, going to football practice and then come back. You know, we get the football practice and I go off to my team. My dad goes off and find Coach Gary. And then probably within five minutes, I'm walking to where we start getting ready for practice, getting my shoes on, my shoulder pads on. And I hear this commotion, people yelling, screaming at each other, blah, blah, blah. And it's my dad and Coach Gary. And it's really Coach more Coach Gary. And he's like stomping, making all of this big scene for nothing. And then he walks off the practice field. And I'm like, we're all looking at each other like that was our coach. You know, are we, ha are we about to have practice? What's going on? <laughs> um, so we didn't know. And then one of the administrators of the football um, facility or team organization that we played at practice at that park came over to the practice, say, hey, um, Coach Gary won't be coaching the day. And so one of the assistants took over for the practice that day and then come to find out like the next day um, he got fired. And and reason why reason why that happened is because so when my dad approached them, they started a conversation about you know, him doing what he was doing with me. And I guess, you know, he took it the wrong way. And my dad was just asking the simple question, you know, did Amon do anything? And what do I need to know as a parent to make sure he's okay or he's doing his job as a player to you? And then just set the coach off. And 
And then from that point too, it also it also button brought to the administrators uh, attention that he had done this to other players in the past before I got there. He would pick out one or two players and just pick on them and pick on them and beat them up, make them run extra, make them, you know, do extra things in practice, stuff like that. That was unnecessary for little kids because, you know, we're eight years old. You know, we're just learning how to tie our shoes and maybe ride a bike, you know, to be smart Alec to a parent at that, especially this is mid eighties where, you know, there was a belt and it was punishment <laughs> that I didn't want none of, you know, and I was like, nope, I know what I need to do what I don't need to do things of that nature. So when that outburst happened and the coach took over, assistant took over and he kind of told me the assistant kind of, you know, was like, you know, Amon, I was going to step up and say something one day to coach Gary because he always seemed to point you out. I was ready to do it. And obviously, unfortunately this has happened. And so, that week, uh, we only had two games left. We had the game that Saturday and then the following Saturday. And then the assistant coach, I remember him saying, I've been wanting to do this all season, Amon. You are our running back right now. Because like early in the season, when they had me go play running back just for the defense to play, you know, to give them a pitcher, he's like, you were pretty much unstoppable. <laughs> Nobody could tackle you. You were faster or you ran through tackles. You were this, that, and the other. And I'm like, great i was like i I, I was ready to do it because i kind of know it um so i'm ready and then boom i have two good games running the ball and then uh, we end up going to another park the following season cover over in cover city which was wasn't far from where we were so that was you know that was my first pop warner experience and i had been through other things in my life at that time me being being a kid but you know like i'm busting my jaw up and stuff like that and but just having that from a football sense and um, from a football experience, like, man, that could have ended my career. I could have went into depression. I could have went into not loving sports at all, you know, having this coach basically that gave me, that picked me out of the bunch. And so, but I never looked at it out. But the way I looked at it in my head is, okay, I'm out of shape. Maybe, maybe he sees something that I don't see as an athlete. So he's the coach. He knows. So I basically got to get better and I'm going to keep working hard. You know, I don't know. I guess he may think, I'm saying something to him. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to argue. I can't argue. I'm a kid, you know, I, but which I could have, I, I mean, I wasn't going to get into it like a full blown argument, but I'm going to say, Hey coach, what am I doing wrong? So I could fix it. You know, just tell me that and I could make it right. But obviously I didn't, I say, be honest, I didn't have the courage because I was eight years old. He was an adult at that time to question that. So I was like, let me just keep working harder. I'll keep pushing myself keep grinding in my head. Okay. I got to get better, you know, and say that, that I said, be between what I've been through before, um, before that and uh, growing up from then was uh, I say the, the foundation of what I've experienced as a young adult, you know, going through high school, going to college and then getting to the NFL was just that mindset of working hard, no matter the circumstances to get, you know, that you have to overcome. There's always going to be something, you know, either positive or negative, that could slow you down or speed you up, but you got to be ready for it. And with it being negative, to me, I took it as just a time to get stronger and get better and um, get ready for whatever I got to get ready for next. So needless to say, your, your experience starting out with football at a young age tested your limits, <laughs> but in Definitely. the end, in the end, it ended up working out. So, but I feel, exactly. I feel like in a lot of cases you hear professional athletes, like, Oh, I just had this epiphany or like this, this kind of this perfect path to like, Oh, I had to be a track runner or baseball player, football player. But mm -hmm. I mean, in your case, it definitely sounds like you definitely had some obstacles right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was something, like I said, it just, it just made me become a harder worker. I never looked at the negative um, part. 
And I, I say that's due in part the way I was raised. My mom and dad was always promoting me, supporting me, you know, and giving me positives to think about instead of because they knew as adults at that time, like I know as an adult now, there's a lot of negatives in the world. And it's more negative than positive, everything from people to things, to the situations that happen. And so they, they basically raised me to be focusing on the good. And that when you when something bad happens, just learn from it and then see how that mistake or how that bad experience can make you better because it was something that you missed or something you did or didn't do that where that situation happened and see what you could do better from there, you know, learn from there to get better. Take it in stride and use it as a building block instead of letting it hick you up and, you know, keep you down. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't set it better myself. Yeah. So other than football at a young age, kind of maybe getting beyond the pop Warner into maybe middle school, high school kind of age, what other sports did you do other than football growing up? Oh, so not far. So along with the pop Warner at eight, when I turned 10, I started, I picked up baseball. And okay. again, I was already, I was already playing in my neighborhood, you know, it was California. So we got 70 degree weather most of the time. So we could get the little baseball bat or a stick and a tennis ball and go out in front um, our, of our whole houses. It was, uh, we had a little patch of grass in the middle of the, the street called the Island. And we basically would go out there and play football, play baseball, um, race against one another, you know, and see who was the fastest. So that was kind of, part of uh, my childhood growing up so playing outside with my friends which obviously still happens today in some places but obviously there's more indoor things or more organized sports than anything but I did the organized sports along with that so like I said uh age 10 that's when baseball started and I found out within a couple I said not even a full season I was like I love baseball too I'm like oh man this is fun um and the cool thing about it from the coaching side of it um our coach our head coach named uh, coach cliff um, never forget his name. And he had played, he was a pitcher in the the Negro leagues back way back when. And so I kind of knew about that. My dad had talked about it every now and then I knew who Jackie Robinson was and what he did for the baseball world. And just for the world, I say for United States at the time of the civil rights act, you know, movement and all that and playing baseball and actually before that, but playing baseball and all that. So I was like, Oh, that's cool. I was like, he played, he was a pro. You know, he played against these guys or he pitched against these big hitters. And so he was a pitcher, but obviously being a coach, he knew everything about baseball that we needed to do and be prepared for as little leaguers. And he helped us out so much. He helped me out in terms of uh, confidence. And because of that confidence, I didn't have to talk to Coach Gary, the football coach, or just ask him a question. You know, it kind of brought out of me because I remember halfway through the season, you know, I got used to hitting the ball really good. Um, I say between fastball and a curveball was my favorite pitches to hit. And so Coach Cliff said uh, to me one week, he said, Amon, I want to put you in lead off to start the game. I'm like, so you want me to be the first person up at bat? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. He said, you, you're a solid hitter. And to get your speed, because you knew I was fast, to get you on the base path, you pretty much could still first, still second, still third, get all the way home. And I'm like, I get it. Okay, but I'm like... So I didn't say nothing. He's like, I was, he's like, I was, you know, I, was, I remember sitting there kind of quiet, but then I was like, you know what? I'm going to say something. And it's nothing, you know, I was like, all right, get past feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm disrespecting this adult here. And I'm just like, let me just ask this question. 
And I said, uh, can I think about it? That's all I was, I was worried about, <laughs> to say that. I said, uh, can I think about it? And he said, uh, yeah, just think about it. You know, you, can, you don't have to do it. You know, now we play on Saturday. I think it was like a Wednesday or something. He said, just let me know before, you know, like on Friday or Thursday that, you know, if you're okay with it. And I did. I went home and asked, I talked to my dad about it. And he was like, well, that's a, that's a kind of a privilege. You know, that's a good thing that he wants you to lead off the game, you know, knowing that you're a good hitter, a good base runner. And I was like, okay. I said, but I just, you know, I was like, just too nervous right now. I don't know. I don't, I'm going to go up there and freak out, you know, and not swing the bat <laughs> the way I usually, because I'm thinking about like, man, I'm going to be the first out. You know, I'm thinking that negative stuff. And he's like, no, don't think that. Just, just play ball like you've been playing. You just, you're going to be the first one hitting the ball before everybody else, you know? And he said, uh, and I, I, another thing I remember, I just remember that was the, you know, me being in the, in the batting lineup, like third or fourth, I would get to see the pitcher pitch and I could see his, how he's pitching, what pitches are his favorite. So that's where I would became that good hitter. But from that, my coach was like, all right, we got to have him leading off. But, but now I won't have that time to prep basically those early pitches to see. But then, you know, once I talked to my dad and I came like Thursday or Friday and told coach, you know what, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'll do it. No problem. And then, and after that, then I was, I just took to what my dad said about just being, you know, being what you've been doing before that. Don't worry about being the first hitter. You know, if you're hitting it or striking out, it's okay. You just get ready for the next time at bat. And then I just went out there. I can't remember if I got a hit or not, but I know I did good for the game. And pretty much every time I was out there on the baseball field, it was a, a, it was fun. Um, We had amazing uh, situations. We won, I think, that year and then four years after that, we won four park championships in a row. We were pretty much undefeated or we lost one or two games in a season, but we won four championships between, you know, we had really good pitching. I had one time pitched a few games being a lefty pitcher. And we know how special that is in baseball. Having a lefty thrower is, is different. Um, I learned that we have a natural curveball to when I throw the ball. So that's something I don't have to really work for or test out I could just grab the ball and throw it and it throws people off so I was like oh I'm learning <laughs> stuff I'm learning stuff here it's pretty this pretty cool which I did I, I still today I love learning things and so learning that as a kid that you know as a baseball player I got stuff that just because I'm left-handed that some righties don't throw naturally I'm like oh okay so that was cool and then learning how to hit a curve learning how to hit a change up which some of our pitchers were throwing, which a lot of pitchers at that park didn't throw. And to know I could do that in practice was just, you know, all because of we had a really good coach and really good players um, that all basically came around. The, we're there together, you know, to make a team effort. And it was, uh, it was great. So baseball was 10. And then as I grew up, you know, basketball, I played volleyball in middle school, um, track once I got to high school. And uh, I always say to a young athletes, the more you can do, you know, playing traditional sports, and now you have esports. It doesn't is all that together. Playing video games to traditional sports, which I did. I would come home, and if I had my homework done, if I had all my chores done, then I could play video games. So I'm playing either Tecmo Bowl, Donkey Kong, Super Mario Brothers, or Legend of Zelda. You know, those are my <laughs> games. Those are my go-to's when everything else was done that I needed to get done, homework and chores. Then I was doing that stuff to uh, play games. So you know, to have a kid today that has all these outlets to express themselves, to have fun playing basketball and then come home, play 2K or Madden or Call of Duty or Fortnite or Halo. It's, it's, I'm like, I wish I was a kid now. Yeah. <laughs> wish, wish I was eight years old right now. Oh my God. I would be like, <laughs> I'm going to go pro. I'm going to go pro in football. And then 
you know, then I'm gonna be a Madden pro. Then I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna jump on this Call of Duty. I'm like, I don't even know which way to go if I was eight <laughs> years old right now. I'll be having way too much fun, kind of like what I'm doing right now. So, <laughs> I kind of have a quick question about that. Do you think playing video games, as far as Tech Mobile, helped you learn the game of football in any way? Are there little things that you picked up on as far as formations, plays, that type of stuff that helped you transfer your knowledge along as you? Because, like, I just took like myself. I learned how to play the game of hockey by playing NHL video games on the PlayStation right. and watching how everything moves and all that type of stuff like i could see for somebody like yourself who's young playing a video game like did that have an impact on you as far as helping you learn the game oh definitely it did because it was not only knowing you know getting them to see the actual game you know oh this is a cover two defense this is a man or cover three that stuff came later in madden but tech mobile was real basic but I just understood like the mechanics of the, you know, learning the mechanics of my Nintendo controller at that time was no different than learning the mechanics of how I hold on to the ball, um, how I catch the ball, look it in, tuck it in, and or throwing the ball as a baseball player or even, you know, in football. So it was just all the, you know, able to relate to one thing to another. And then um, the biggest thing for me at that time, because the games of Madden wasn't as complicated as it is now. I say, if anything, it learned me how to, I, I, it taught myself how to learn new things fast. Um, because every new game I got from birthday or Christmas, it was a new game. So it was different from Super Mario Brothers to Tecmo Bowl to Contra to Legend of Zelda. So I got to learn this game fast if I want to beat it and get good at it. Maybe I have to play against some of my friends that spend the night. We play Tecmo Bowl, a little mini tournament to see who's the better of, of our friends. So I got to play and make sure I know all the little ins and outs of the buttons, what, you know, how to do certain plays, how to blitz you. So it basically taught me how to learn and unlearn things quicker, you know, as I was growing up. And so then when things came to me that were brand new, I didn't kind of like, you know, I didn't shy away from it. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go right in. You know, when you get that game, you put it in, you hit the power, you turn it on and then, all right, let's, let's see what I'm going to learn now. And then how long is it going to take for me to master it? Great question. I guess kind of sticking get, sticking with the video game talk right here. Then, what game did system did you grow up with, and kind of what was your go to game where you get home, homework's done, chores are done, boom, this is the game I, I gotta go play this right now. Yeah, oh man, it's the ones I mentioned. So the first, I was the first on the block with Nintendo. I had ColecoVision too, um, so that was for um, until Cl Nintendo came into the house. It was Donkey Kong and Zagzon on ColecoVision. So I would just just beat those games you know, go to the 10th board or whatever, it took you, it took me, I know Zaxxon, once I got good at, I got so good at Zaxxon that I think I could beat the whole game in an hour <laughs> and then go, go use the bathroom, come back and beat it again. You know, I just sit there and just <laughs> keep beating it, beating it. Um, same with Donkey Kong. I get to like level 12. I don't know how many levels, but I could get all the way to the end of jumping over the barrel, saving the, the princess and all that and coming back down, beating Donkey Kong. Um, and then uh, I would say, so that and then Tech Mobile came out. That was then that became my next go-to. Before that was Ten Yard Fight, um, and then Legend of Zelda. I say that was my first official RPG game where I delved headfirst into that. I'm like, this is different from you know all the sports game I played, and different from like Duck Hunt, obviously, and then uh, Super Mario Brothers. Now this is something you really you're searching for stuff. You're this is big map that you got to find out where things are hidden or 
there's a door you could open that you don't see, but then when you hit a button or you go over a certain spot, the door opens. You're like, oh, so it's making you think, you know, more and more. So it's like games like that. That was my go-to's. And then as I grew up from Nintendo, Sega Genesis was Altered Beast. That was and then Madden came out on Sega, and then uh, PlayStation One. I remember getting good at Tekken, and then Madden has kind of been on been there forever. And but then Tekken One on the first PlayStation. Um, Streets of Rage. I remember playing that. I think that was on Sega Genesis or PlayStation One, if not both. Um, trying to think, Kirby, um, and then the Game Boy. I was on that playing. What was I playing on Game Boy? A ton of ah. Oh, Darn it, I can't think of it, but I had the game, I had the old school black and white Game Boy, big one, about, you know, it was about, about, probably about that big, you know, square, uh, but it was between my Game Boy, I had all the cool stuff, my friends be like, man, you got everything over there, I'm like, bro, I, man, you spoiled, no, I'm not, I earned all this stuff, I had A's and B's, I had A's and B's to get this stuff, man, I just yeah. didn't get this stuff given to me, you're like, hold up now, don't be thinking, hey, I'm just spoiled right, no, I'm not. I had to get a four, a th- you know, above a 3.0. I had to stay out of that trouble with y'all knuckleheads being my friends. And that's hard to do. You know, they're like, oh, okay, okay. I'm like, yeah, back up. Back up. <laughs> Chill out. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, I definitely always envy people. I mean, I mean, at your age or just really 10 to 20 years older that were able to grow up with Sega, Atari, uh, Genesis. I started with a PS1 and like a Game Boy. And then kind of 95. Yeah. Yes, where because it born in 96, it was just like that was like the hot thing. Like as far as yep. I can remember, picking up a, a controller was a PS1. And uh, I mean, really falling in love with gaming was when I switched to a 360 at like, I don't know, kind of that eight to that ten was, year old age yeah, range or whatever that would be. Yeah, 10 360 was like oh two, oh three, or oh one somewhere, because the Xbox came out in 99, 2000, and then 360 came out after that, so like 0203, mm-hmm. 0103, yep. Yeah, sure. Dream Dreamcast and PlayStation One was my get up when I was growing up. Yep, I still have my Dreamcast, and I think it works. I took care of it. I took care of everything. Mm-hmm. After when I had that first Nintendo, and then I graduated to my Sega Genesis, it was part of my mom saying, you know, you know, be nice and share, and then all I want, and then also be me being an uncle, one of my nephews. I still tease him to this day. I was like, bro, why'd you let your your sisters destroy that Nintendo I gave you? You need to take care of that because I took care of it. And then I gave it to him. And then within a month, I go back over to my sister's house. I say, hey, Brandon, you know, fire up the Nintendo. Let's play some old games. You know, let's play Tech Mobile or something. And he's like, it's broke. I said, what? what happened he's like oh you know giovanni and natalia they you know they were two and three years old and i'm like you hold on you let a two-year-old play with i'm like oh my god and all the wires out of controllers were frayed and destroyed oh and, no and pulled i was like i told myself then i am not giving away my console or computer ever again I'm <laughs> and from then on i did i kept every system since then and i'm just like ah. Oh. That just my heart would just broke. I was like, no, my Nintendo literally died. Rest <laughs> in peace. Rest in peace, Ness. Rest in peace. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess kind of pivoting back to uh, uh, football here. Um, talking again about your success in Pop Warner, um, kind of switching to running back, baseball. You said volleyball, basketball. At what point did you really fully commit to football that you're like, all right, this is where I'm putting all my eggs in this basket? It, uh, it wasn't until... 
my junior year of high school. So we moved back to Nebraska my freshman year, going into freshman year of high school. And uh, and then all three years, of first three years of high school, was playing football, played baseball, played ran track. Even though they're both in the spring, I was able to do it one year, um, my freshman year, and then part of my sophomore year. And then track kind of just took over because it was just more time and obviously more work um, than baseball, you know, to be honest. Because, you know, baseball player, you sometimes you barely sweat. You know, you probably sweat more in BAP and BP than you do uh, out in the field, you know, or running track, obviously. So getting that under my belt and then finally focusing on that, I'll say it was probably my junior year where I focused. It was just mostly football and track. And then um, once I obviously start getting recruited for football, then it was, okay, this is going to be a football thing. Hopefully, whatever school I decide to go to, you know, they'll let me run track in the spring and play, or play baseball in the spring because I still want to do that. And I knew guys did it before me. You know, I mean, Bo Jackson and the other players was still able to, you know, play football in the fall, football track in the spring, just to kind of give your body a break. I think it's a good thing to do to give your body a break um, from the, the banging around instead of having spring football. But I still had to do spring football once I got to Nebraska. I was like, man, <laughs> I want to I want to hit the baseball. I want to run the track. But uh, it was uh, but it was you know, it still was a great experience. And uh, we had great football, you know, going there in in Lincoln, Nebraska. So then going from high school to college, was Nebraska your first choice? Was it your only choice? Did you get a scholarship to go there? Were there uh, other yes. schools that you were interested in going to? Or was yep, that there, number one? Uh, no, it was, uh, I did get a scholarship there. Um, but no, it wasn't my only one. I had, I made a a good list and I, I kind of just took it as I took it like anything else I took it in stride and I just didn't say boom I'm going to Nebraska because I live in Nebraska I looked at the whole you know college football scene that was recruiting me you know I had schools from everywhere you know have an opportunity to talk to me to talk to which was very it felt you know it was an honor it was, it was an honor it was a privilege to get recruited by these schools from the west coast from Texas from Florida from Mississippi from Alabama um, upstate New York in terms of Syracuse and Penn State and then the Big Ten, Michigan, you know, Notre Dame area and Wisconsin and all these schools was like, it was like, wow, like they, they know about me. I'm like, man, I didn't know, you know, but, you know, my coach helped me out, helped a lot of us out on our, our high school team by sending videotapes to some of these schools. And so I was just like, imp- I was just like totally humble, like, man, I got this coach from Georgia and I talked to this coach from USC and this other coach came this UCLA coach came to my track meet. I'm talking, I'm like, okay. And so I had a lot of choices. And so I was just kind of, all right, what I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to come down to one team or one school. And then once I I sat down with mom and dad, they kind of told me like, you know, you kind of are on a, uh, it's kind of, it's a business thing, but you're kicking the tires of a new car and you're trying to figure out, is this car going to work for you? You know, you get to look under the hood, you get to test drive it, you get to, the, you know, kick, you know, check if the brakes work, check if the AC works. And then kind of when my dad put it like that, because we worked on cars a lot and I would sit over his shoulder or my grandfather sit over his shoulder, watch them fix the transmission or the braking line, clean that out. I was like, I get it because I want to know that the car works, you know, when I drive it, basically. And they like, he's basically, basically, yes, that's what you want to look for. When you get to that school, do you get along with the teachers or do the teachers have what you want to learn? Do the school has the curriculum? 
from an academic standpoint. And then from a football standpoint, that's the easy part. You know, you've been playing football. So how you get along with your teammates, how you get along with the coaches. And then once you get really to the business of football, is this a run school or is this a passing school? Is this a run team or a passing team? Um, I played defense too. I was a linebacker. You know, what type of defense do they run? You know, things of that nature then started filtering in my head just because of that conversation with my parents. And so I was like, oh, okay, it's not that hard. I was like, but I just got to make my visits and go from there. And so I took, um, I had the five schools initially was uh, Notre Dame, Michigan, Nebraska, Penn, Penn State, and Arizona on Wildcats. And at that time, Arizona, everybody's like, you know, Arizona, why? I'm like, Arizona was, if you look at 1995, 1994, they were actually ranked in the top 10 back then. And they had uh, guys like, you know, for example, Teddy Bruschi was their middle linebacker. And, uh, you know, and they had a couple other guys, uh, a guy named Spurlock, who was a strong safety. I think he was all Pac-10 at that time. I think he went to the NFL as well, along with Teddy Bruschi. Um, so they had good players that were on that team that made up that team. Um, All-American linebacker named Charlie Camp, who recruited me. And so I took my visit there first. And then second visit was to Lincoln and then Michigan and then Notre Dame. And then my uh, fifth, one of my fifth visit was going to be Penn State, but they they wanted me to verbally con commit before I even came and kicked the tire. So I was like, nah, I said, that kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. And then I don't want to, you know, once I talked to my dad and my brothers about it, they was like, no, you could be, you could maybe be the bad guy because if you say you're going to go there and then Everybody you don't else. go there and then everybody's going to be like, oh, he's, you know, he's, a, he, he's deceiving. He lied to Penn state, you know? And I'm like, that makes sense. So I was like, okay. So I told them over the phone, it was, it was actually tough because I was like, man, I've got to tell this school I'm not, going to come on their visit so it took a little little I'll say it took a little time for me to let them know but I did I finally got on the phone and talked to their recruiting coach and said you know I'm not going to come on the visit because I'm not comfortable with basically saying I'm a I'm gonna come there and then I might get there and might not like the trip might not like the, the town the people the coaches the team stuff like that so um, so I didn't make that trip but I made all the other trips and and it boiled down to basically you know me you know I figured I figured out like I had one I had been close in high school and in little league of winning I, I know in little league baseball like I mentioned I won a championship won some championships so but outside of football outside of baseball I hadn't won any yet in football got close but no cigar so I was like I want to be on a, a team that's gonna where we could do something we can win a national title and when I looked at the roster all the teams were in the top 10 at that time or top 15 and uh, Nebraska though was right at the top because they had beat the previous year, they beat Miami in the Orange Bowl for the national title. So once it came down to it, um, and then obviously being close home, to, close to my family and friends, then it was like, I, I'm going to go to Lincoln. Because I know from what I, I said, what I experienced as a high school player, how I developed physically and mentally, that I could play um, Division One football at Nebraska and then help that team keep their record going of winning games and winning another national title. So that basically was my goal that I didn't obviously to, to everybody that I eventually became my teammates and my coaches. And I didn't tell no anybody that I, I kind of kept that to myself, kept it in my notebook that I'm here to win a national. I'm here to help this team win. That was one of my goals my freshman year. And we pretty much did that, you know, and uh, it was fantastic. Great season, great players, Tommy Frazier, Lawrence Phillips, Christian Peter, Jason Peter, um, Mike Mentor, Grant Winstrom, um, I'm trying to think, Tyrone Williams, and this, uh, this uh, and, and all, all the running backs in the backfield, myself, Clinton Childs, Lawrence Phillips, Damon Benny, Jay Sims, 
and then, then Coach Osborne and Frank Solis, Milt Tenerpert. We just had a great bunch of guys playing football and a great bunch of coaches coaching us up too. And uh, that's where it got me to Lincoln and it helped that team win that national, the second national title in, uh, my, in 95, my freshman year. So then when you do step on campus, like you were saying, knowing that Nebraska just won the national championship the year prior, you're going to go there. You wanting the reason to go there is to win a national championship. You step foot in the doors and now you have the chance to do it. You guys end up doing it. How surreal was that to do it in, especially where you grew up, you played high school in Nebraska and then yep. to do it for your home state university. Like how was that? Especially you, you like you said, your family being close to home, everybody yep. kind of getting to be a part of that. It was, it was, I say it was awesome feeling. I mean, it really, it started to kick in right before I say, right in the warmups of the national title game. I'm like, all right, this is now we're in the game, you know? So this goal was set, was set my senior year right before I, you know, um, when I, after I graduated, no, before I graduated, right after I decided to go to Nebraska, which was January of 1995. So I told myself like in February, I put that in my notebook. This is my goal. Once I become a freshman on campus and now, so February, and then you go through March, April, May, June, July, where I ran track. I played in an um, all-star game and then got finally gets to Lincoln, Nebraska, summer camp, two a day camp on practice. And I get there, I'm the bottom I'm the fifth back on the um, on the uh, depth chart, and for me, I was just happy to be there. You know, if I played a lot, if I didn't play a lot, I didn't care, because I was just gonna when when my time came, I was gonna make sure I took full advantage of it. If it was just some scrap time, if it was two minutes left in the game, we were up by 40, which it was a lot. I'm getting carries. I don't care. I'm helping this team. I'm helping myself get better. I'm getting used to the game. So it's like basically, I don't care what I need to do, but I'll do it you know, to help this team win and not be one of those players that is complaining about not playing and not being the person getting the I wasn't worried about it. I'm, I'm going to get the ball or if I don't, so what? I get to play college football. And just all that didn't come, like I said, just kind of hit me in the warmups. Then I'm like, all right, this is now it's the moment to play, even though this moment is not on me. It's on my other teammates too. There is on all of us. It's a team effort. So once I then told myself that too, then I felt relaxed. Like I wasn't starting, <clears throat> excuse me. I wasn't starting the game. <clears throat> my, my teammate Lawrence started the game and he had a fantastic game. I think he had over 200 yards rushing, two touchdowns and I was his backup. And I had a touchdown. And I had like 50, 60 yards rushing as a true freshman, you know, the year before I was in high school running the ball. So to, to, to do that as a freshman, to be a part of that team, that game and what we did to the Florida Gators, you know, it was something that, I think it's still, I mean, I know for a fact it's still in the record books from the score of the game to the stats of the game. And then what we did that whole season, the average per yards that we had rushing, the defensive turnovers we had, the sacks, and just the whole full team effort, special teams. We had the most kickoff returns and punt returns or punt blocks for touchdowns that year. And so it just, it, it, it basically solidified a dream of me being a part of a team that definitely took the word team seriously and that we all work together to do our jobs. And then I, I kind of have a two-part question here for you. One, how, I guess, important is it, like you said, to be a, to finally win that championship, the camaraderie of what it is to actually be a team and everybody loving each other and all buying into the same, because if one person doesn't, that's all it takes to ruin the whole, you know, to find like how important was that and how 
I guess, important was your was it for your coach to bring your guys together to do that? And then how much did you guys do it yourselves? Like relied upon your team, the older leaders on your team mm-hmm. to say, Hey, this is the group of guys we got. Let's not waste this. Yeah. And I say I could speak on that as a coach now myself, you know, that's what you look for in your players. Like I'm recruiting. Um, I'm not really, you know, I coached high school football for a while, but now I'm coaching esports. So I'm looking, when I look at the esports player, I look for one, somebody that actually has the passion to be competitive um, in their game and or just a passion for video games themselves. And then after that, I, I, I see, I look for players that could be coachable. So when I tell them something, I teach them something, I show them something in practice, they're willing to and do it, you know, and would not a whole lot of, of pushback or questions. Um, and if they have questions, just questions to, you know, keep me on my toes as a coach and that's okay. And I, I always, you know, recommend, I say, hey guys, girls, ask me questions. Let me know. I don't know everything. And if I don't know the answer, I'm going to find out. And that's what Coach Osborne and his coaching staff would do to, do with us. You know, we will have conversations, you know, for us to get things, you know, to understand what certain defenses look like that we were going to face or certain offenses our defense was going to face to make sure the defensive players are in the right position to win. And the, and the same for us, that offensive players would be in the right play, the right position, know the right technique to win the play, to make sure that's a successful play so we could score points or just, or just gain yards. So as a coach, they made sure that we knew our job, they, we knew our role, and that we knew that we did our jobs to not only win the game, but we did it to support one another. And then amongst the players, it was basically, it was accountability. So that was already being taught by the coaches but among us in the locker room when we did have a bad practice the captain stepped up they said hey man that that practice wasn't good this is why it wasn't good and that's what we got to do to get better because if we don't we're going to lose games on sunday we i mean on saturday we got this team coming into town or we got to go to this school and play them and if we practice like we play like we practice today that record is not going to, we're going to get a loss. And so it was that type of motivation, that type of conversation that we knew was like, okay, this is on us. You know, the coaches, they give us a game plan. You know, they put us through practice. They make us, you know, not make us, but we, we got to hit the weight room and then we watch more film. But then we're the ones, you know, initiating the, the plays that run, our, we're running the plays. We're getting tackled. We're being hit. We're hitting somebody. We're doing, we're actually doing the physical work. So, for that to work, we better make sure that we obviously want to stay out of trouble to hit the weight room. Three, have our grades. Obviously, probably one, have our grades right so we could be eligible to be on the field. And that's one thing, coach, all the coaching staff promoted that make sure all our players had a 3.0 or higher. And a lot of us did. A lot of us was academic All-Americans. My freshman year, I was um, freshman newcomer of the year and honor roll freshman of the year because I knew that if my grades weren't right I wasn't going to play but that was stuff I knew from all the way back in grade school that just followed with me all the way through high school and college but every other player was on the same mindset because of what we were taught so that that locker room was probably just as important if not more important than the coaching staff as well that plays perfectly into the second part of my question now going to your junior year where you have your best season in college arguably you become a leader of that team. Did you, were you one of the type of guys that stepped up and used your voice or did you let your play on the field, just do the talking for like, were you the type of leader that set your example? Obviously you said you take pride in your academics, which is huge for a leader in college. I feel like mm-hmm. to set that example of doing it all around the clock instead of just on the field where 
were you the type of leader that was was quiet and spoken up when you felt like need be or just did you talking on the field um i say it was probably more talking on the field i did have times and where the coaching staff had us talk to the team um there were we did these little like hype videos before every game and since once i got voted as a team captain my junior year then the captains, every captain did it either every other week. They basically traded off weeks. So we have an offensive captain and a defensive captain. So I remember throughout the 97 season that I probably did about a handful of hype up um, videos. And to me, it was funny because I was real. I say I, at that time in college, I had, even though in high school, we watched a lot of film, you know, so but what I found out, and even in high school for the little bit of film we watched, I didn't like watching myself on film, good or bad. You know, if I had a good game or a bad game, I didn't watch my film. I just, it was just something that I guess I, I had a thing for. And eventually I got over it once I got to Nebraska because between um, talking to our sports guy psychologist and then talking to my coach, they was like, well, Amon, you got to watch the film because you're going to learn from your mistakes if you have any. Um, and then it's going to help you get better. And then once they kind of said that, that simpleness of getting better and then learn from my mistakes, I was like, all right, I got it. So I got to cringe through me getting used to seeing me like you know how some people say I don't like my voice I don't want I don't want to hear myself talk that's how I didn't want to see myself play football <laughs> you would have you would have thought oh man I'm watching all my highlight tapes it's like bro I didn't it just was something but I got over it you know I had to I had to get over it for one I gotta watch film you know um and so once I got over it then I guess like I got it this thing is gonna watching this film breaking it down it's gonna help me get better you know, what I need to do as a running back. And so doing that, that helped. So it was just something that, you know, like I said, just, it took a little time, but I, I got there. So kind of looking back, just at your, your whole college experience at Lincoln, um, coming onto the scene as a freshman, seeing success right off the bat, um, obviously talking about, again, your junior year, probably being one of your best years as a whole, what was probably your favorite college moment? Again, this could be Football, non-football, maybe if there's another right. memory of your, like a, a campus story with friends or with teammates or something too. Um, I guess yeah. just just share one of your favorite college moments with us. Gotcha. And so to the last question, I hope I answered it. Like, you know, I let my actions do most of the talking um, than any other than the than the hype up videos there. Um, but uh, say to repeat the question again. Yeah, just share one of your favorite um, college moments with us. Um, again, whether it was football, non-football, just one of those, like you you just tap into that memory every once in a while of your time at Lincoln. Oh man. It was we like off the field. We were a whole bunch of college kids, basically goofballs, um, having fun experience, you know, experience in college life. I'm trying to think what was something funny. Oh yeah. I'll say it was an off the field for sure. Um, thing. So sophomore year, um, after, so now guys that were freshmen we all had to live on campus, you know, as an option, you can choose to live off campus now, get you an apartment, off campus apartment. Um, but then obviously it means you need a car or you need to be on the, you need to be on the bus route or have a bike. Um, so I was thinking about it. You know, I was talking to guys before freshman year was up. I'm like, you know, would you want a roommate and asking those type of questions? And um, but nobody had really just popped out like, oh, yeah, I'm a, let's just stay, you know, let's be roomies, you know, do that. Nothing really popped out. So I was just waiting to the right moment. I wasn't going to force you know, somebody to be my roommate. I was just going to let it happen because um, the roommate I had, uh, Marcus, uh, my freshman year, he was offensive lineman. We were, we got along really good um, things from start to finish. And so we thought it actually was going to be me and him, but I got fortunate 
that, that my mom and dad decided to move to Lincoln, Nebraska. So then I could just stay at home and because Omaha and Lincoln is only 50 miles apart, not far at all. And so then doing that, that would, that kind of helped me, you know, obviously, you know, with um, saving money and all that fun stuff that a college student goes through. Um, but it, it kind of was like, like an aha moment. Cause when all my teammates finally, you know, sophomore year came around, everybody roomed up. And um, I would go over to their houses to hang out on the weekends after the game. And uh, I remember uh, Mark, it was uh, Aaron, Tony, and Jay. And so I know all three of them, no, two of them had the chance to play in the NFL. Jay Foreman, he played a little bit longer. He played linebacker with the Buffalo Bills and the Texans, uh, Houston Texans. And then Tony, he was with the Patriots for a little bit. Then he went to Buffalo Bills too. And uh, Aaron didn't get a chance to, but he had the, the ability but in college, they were roommates. So this is all defensive players living in the same house. So you got a defensive end and two linebackers. Aaron was the linebacker, or Aaron was the defensive end, and Tony and TJ were the linebackers. And I would come over, and it would, the house or the apartment from year one to year two, it was a, it was a destroyed. I'll say that just to put it nicely. <laughs> I'm like, I'm walking over, I'm coming in, knocking in the door, coming in what's up guys how you doing what are we doing tonight or whatever and i see a hole in the wall i'm like that's a pretty big hole i'm like what happened i'm like what happened there you know and they're like oh um i think it was uh tony tony had eight errands so aaron even though he was from nebraska his dad his mom his dad was hawaiian so he was mixed and so he's but raised up Hawaiian and some of the, you know, the food and stuff, the rice and the, 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 the was it the ham pork dishes that his mom would make were great. They tasted awesome. So I think it was Tony decided to eat all of it. <laughs> when Aaron had put his name on it too, he put Aaron on it and he still ate all of it. <laughs> and of course they're fighting because they're doing the food fight. I'm like, dude. And I was like, who got thrown into the wall? He said, Aaron. That's like, I throw Tony into the wall because obviously he's a D lineman or in you know, a defensive end. He's a little bit bigger. So I'm like, see, that's why I don't have a roommate. Y'all break, y'all destroying stuff. Now you got your deposit. You lost it right there. <laughs> I'm like, deposit is gone. So stuff like that. That wasn't the only fight. That was, it was many others. I was like, every time something else was broken or dismantled from, you know, microwave broken, slammed in the ground, destroyed. I'm like, you know you're destroying stuff that you now have to pay back. Y'all realize this. <laughs> oh, I was mad. I'm like, see, see. <laughs> me emotion. I can't. Mm -mm. That's why I was like, I love y'all to death. Y'all my teammates, but I didn't want this to happen. <laughs> so, so yeah, that kept me. I was like, all right, I'm good. I, I, I did pretty good, you know, because they would see, oh, you living with your mama again. I'm like, look, we get along. Every now and then she cooks for me. I'm like, so it's, it's not a bad deal. I get to save a little money, you know. They're like, man, you suck. I'm like, wait, wait, don't be mad at me. I'm like, I, don't, I can't help it. They decide. And then I, I didn't even ask them. They just said, it's told me. I'm like, I was ready to room up with one of you knuckleheads, but I'm glad I didn't. Y'all got problems. <laughs> y'all my teammates, but y'all got problems. <laughs> mm. uh, moving, or I guess kind of wrapping up the college football talk a little bit mm. here with um, your – Again, junior year, Orange Bowl, you were named the MVP. Um, I guess kind of what was, what was that like um, play, playing in a game of that magnitude? Um, it was something that I say definitely was ready for. Um, like I said, our coaching staffs did a great job of preparing us for everything. 
um, from my freshman year to my junior year. So by junior year, I was very, you know, accustomed to uh, Coach Osborne's preparation skill, tactics, you know, from practicing very hard, hitting, hitting each other. I mean, our practice was so brutal that we couldn't wait till Saturday. It's like that bad. <laughs> it was like, look, I want to make it to the weekend, please. You know, but that's how we play. And that's what I say that what drew us apart from all the other college football teams. I remember um, the start before my sophomore year, um, we had a team meeting and Coach Osmond said he had reached out to the University of Clemson to play us in a preseason game or like an early game. And and usually, you know, the early games are usually teams that you're going to beat, but we, we wanted a team that we felt that was going to give us some competition. This was, a, uh, I believe, an SC, no, ACC team. And the ACC and the SEC were, were very good then. Um, so we was like, we'll pick a team out of there. You know, we asked them, and they basically declined. It's like, no, we don't want to play y'all in the first month of the season. Our, our season is over before it gets started because y'all beat us by 50 points. And we was like, oh, okay. So it, just, it was just interesting things like that. Like, you know, Coach Osmer knows that we're good but don't know how good we are or needs a test, you know, and to ask teams like that to – come play against us or we'll go to you we'll come to you you know it was something you know very interesting so that that mentality was kind of put in us that you know we sp we, re we respect all our opponents no matter if they're a top team like Clemson or UCLA or Notre Dame or or Michigan or Florida um, or we play a small school you know like a I say like a Pacific at that time or a, a, a Troy State a D1 school but a small we respect all our opponents equally that means we're going to treat a Troy State or Pacific or Wichita State like they're Alabama, you know, and they're a top rated team. We're going to play hard no matter who we play against. And, you know, that was the mindset, you know, for that season and for all the seasons, you know, to come when I was there. And so that my senior, my junior year was the, you know, my year where, you know, I became the captain. I got voted on up there by my peers, by my teammates. And they, they, that means they have respect for me for that position. And so it was like, I think it was two offensive ca on captains, two defensive captains and two special team captains. And so to be part of that bunch was something like, all right, now it's my, you know, I'm the leader now. Cause I was, you know, behind the guys who got voted my freshman year and my sophomore year. Now it's my turn to lead. So, um, like I said earlier, I led by example. I just let my actions do the talking and that just that season, cause the, the sophomore year, you know, for most, most schools, we went 12 and two. And that's a bad, you know, for us, that was a bad season for everybody else. 12 and two, that's, that's a great year. You know, coaches are ecstatic. Players are happy. For us, we were disappointed because we knew where our goals were set. They were set very high. And so we made it, we did make it to a bowl game. We played in the orange bowl, but it wasn't for the national title. And so that, that year propelled us with the motivation to do what we did in the 97 season. Awesome. Well, kind of, I guess, transitioning then, uh, your college career is done. Um, you realize at that point with the success you had that making it to the professional level is a obtainable goal. Uh, with no NFL combine in the 90s, how did you prepare for the NFL draft? Um, no, there was still a combine. It just wasn't, oh, there was? tele it wasn't televised like it is today. Oh, okay. And, and that's why you don't know that all the 90s and the 80s had combines, 70s too. I think okay. they started to they started to combine back in the 
late 60s, I think, like 69 or something. But yeah, you wouldn't have known because it wasn't on NFL Network. It wasn't on ESPN. You didn't see the four-day coverage or week, actually 10-day week-long coverage of every position working out and all that. And if you would have saw what we went, what I went through, you know, in terms of it was me, you know, guys like Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, Charles Woodson, Tequil Spikes, uh, R.W. McCorders, uh, Curtis Enos, um, Randy Moss, uh, they were in that, that combine. And so for some of them guys, they didn't even have to show up because they were going to be a, a first round draft pick, but probably like a Randy Moss, uh, a Ryan Leaf, a Peyton Manning. But for other, like for me, I wasn't, you know, the highly touted runner, but even though I put up the yardage that I did, um, most scouts thought, okay, he's not, he's a product of the system. You know, they have big linemen, they run the ball a lot. They, you know, he doesn't have the, the skills to catch the ball. He doesn't have the skills to read the blitz and pick up the blitz and all this stuff that they questioned me, you know, put a question mark by my name. Um, so I, you know, I find, I don't know that until after I got drafted, but I kind of had the feeling because I was, you know, some of the stuff I would catch in the media on the news in the paper, but I didn't do, I didn't read it a whole lot, but kind of had that sense, but I was like, you know what, let my actions do the talking again, you know, let me go out here and bust out a uh, four, four something or four, three something in my 40 and let, let those, let that talk. And so the unfortunate thing, a week or two weeks before my combine trip, I strained my groin in my leg. And then my agent was like, you know, don't worry about it. Just go run. You'll be a little better by, by the time you get on the plane and land and all that, you know, get, just keep putting ice on it, you know, rehabbing it. And that's what I did. And I was able to run a 40. I didn't make it any worse or better. Um, I ran a four, four, nine with that strain growing. And I knew I could go faster because we had been training. I was, I went back out to California and got with a sprint coach, got with a, a, a bodybuilding coach, a weightlifter as well. And we trained from January to mid um started January to mid February when the combine was in Indianapolis and I knew I could bust out a four four three four two maybe and then so a week or two I say two weeks after the pro day and also like between the 40 I caught at the combine I caught I think 16 of 20 passes thrown to me so I proved that I could catch the ball you know so that was just one thing I knew that I had to get done right for all the scouts and then two weeks three weeks later at my pro day. So back home in Lincoln, Nebraska, now I'm healed up. I'm ready to bust this out and cast more passes and do more bench press reps and all that. And I had, I say, I probably, you know, I had my best performance or interview. Basically, I think I repped out 225, 28 times. Um, I jumped 41 inches on my vertical and then I went 417 and then 418 in my 40. And so, and I caught 17 of 20 passes. And today, uh, my 40 is still in the top 10, at least the top 10, if not the top five of all time pro day combine 40 times, you know, and I, I'm above both. Um, I'm, I'm above Deion Sanders, right below Bo Jackson, because Bo Jackson, I think he went 415. And that's that's scary because he was like 230 to He was like 230 or 240. <laughs> Matt truck. <laughs> oh, my God. He went a 415. Like, good gracious. I was like, I was two, I was 215. And I went 417 and 418. So I was like, oof. And so I just, just you know, I was like, I let my actions talk because I think, and what I had watched, because I was a sports fan and I grew up watching the combine and, and the, I mean, not watching combine, watching the draft. And to know of any draft player, don't matter the position, it's really running back, wide receiver, DB. If any of those position 
ran anything a four four or lower, they're going to go first round. You know, so in my head, I was like, okay, this is a good shot for me. You know, this this helped me out, which it, it, which it did. A lot of people all were talking, but you know, I found out later it was just talk, and it didn't really mean much because I still got drafted in the third round um, to the Seattle Seahawks. So that for me was my motivation again to basically prove prove myself and. Uh, and I've been down that road again. And so it was nothing for me other than just to come in, learn what I need to do, you know, and that what I learned right away that I needed to do was uh, be a special teamer in with Seattle and then, you know, just wait for my moment, my time again to, to run the ball and as a running back. Same thing from all the way back in Little League. And it was basically coming around. So I was like, I've been here before. Let me just work hard, you know, be the player that I know I can be. And uh, then once my time comes, be ready to ready to go with it. So going back, like you said, you got drafted 76 overall in the third round by the Seattle Seahawks. What was that moment like putting yourself right back in your shoes? That moment the phone rang and you found out that you're going to the league. Um, I say the moment it happened, I was in my agent's office, Lee Steinberg's office. Um, and I was with my, my friends and family, my brother and my oldest brother, Jerry, was there. It was it, it was a great feeling. It was a long day because actually that was the day the combine or that was the time the combine was uh i believe it was all in one day it wasn't yep. spread out it used over, to be, yep. over three four days like it is now and again it was televised most of it was televised um so a lot of this wasn't televised and but it was all day long oh no it was televised just all day long so you know 12 o'clock east coast east coast time is when it started but that's um nine o'clock pacific standard time so i was in california so from 9 a.m all the way to five six o'clock that's when I finally get drafted and I'm sitting there and I'm happy but I'm wore out because I got I had two or three teams call one team was the first team to call was the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and I was a little excited about that because Kansas City's not far from Omaha it's like three hour drive so I'm like oh you know that could be a great location because I'm not far from home family and friends could come <clears throat> watch me play and uh, but they didn't pull the trigger. They went. They actually drafted Victor Riley, a tackle out of Auburn. Uh, he was all American or something. Um, pretty good guy, big guy. I met him later, you know, with the after the draft and all that. And then the second team that called, not too far after that, was uh, the Miami Dolphins. And they had me in between John Avery and they ended up taking John Avery. There was something they liked about him. He was a smaller back, so more side to side, quick and agile guy. But he wasn't, you know, he wasn't my size, so. They chose to go with him. And so then after that, I didn't hear nothing for a while. So that was like like two, three hours went by. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm getting bites. You know, my agent's letting me know that their teams are interested. They're just waiting for other t players or whatever to show up or to see what's there when their pick comes up. And finally, it came around. And uh, Randy Mueller, who was the GM at Seattle at that time, you know, call, you know, he called my agent. I got on the phone. And I was like, this glad it was over you know the wait was over and uh i was just ready to ready to play, play football you know prove myself and so got off the phone went home um and like i said the wait was just it was i say it was it took away it was so draining because it's like finding out okay where i'm gonna live for maybe the next tiers and years of my life you know and why am i getting what i was told that i get drafted late first round early second round um but now i'm mid third top of the third round like what what happened you know why did I get drafted this late you know and it's like I for this for this weight 
and you know not complaining about the salary I was about to start making but I was like I might have stayed in college for one more year you know just to, to get my degree finish up then you know and I had a daughter at that time so I could have been you know another year closer with her and all that but we they ended up moving to Seattle but it was just a it was all good and you know mixed emotions that day because it was just like I was I thought I was going you know I was told you know the guy was going first round so and I put it the numbers to do that especially at my pro day and so it was just like I said a lot of mixed emotions on that day but I say and at the end out of all of it once I came you know once that day passed and the, the weeks passed and then now I'm at my my first mini camp up in Seattle it's like you know what let's just play football and let's prove everybody wrong that passed me up all the 32 actually I there were 31 teams at that time that passed me up two times two and a half times almost is now let's prove it to them that they should have they should have drafted me you know no matter the team who passed me over that didn't need a running back let them find out you know so I had a big chip on my shoulder coming in and see out on in 1998 and it carried with me all the way through Green Bay and most of my career because you know I was it was things like you know from analysts like Mel Kuyper I remember distinctively my dad saying he He's he's reporting on me. He's not a he's not an NFL caliber running back. He can't catch the ball. He's not game. He's not NFL game ready and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, OK, I can't wait. I can't wait till I get the ball. I, I, I could show I could show him and every other analyst that doubted me and every other team scout that didn't um, scout or did scout me, but didn't bring me in. You know what? I'm just got to prove them wrong. So. So in that process of moving from. Midwest, Nebraska to Seattle. What was that process like? And did you get any assistance from the NFL or was it just kind of, all right, be here on this day and the rest is up to you? Um, just a little bit. Well, not, I won't say not from the NFL, but from the team. It was a little bit. Obviously, you you go up there for your first, for my mini camp and they put us in a hotel and because we're all, you know, college players coming from different places. I remember Anthony Simmons was the first round draft pick. He was from Clemson. He was from where, like, uh, South Carolina, where that where Clemson is. So he's coming from there. So we all stayed in the hotel, but between the mini camp and training camp is like two months. It's uh, all of June and part of July, and so we uh, then by that time you had to get back to Seattle, and uh, then look for an apartment on your own. So when I went back for the second, when I went back, no, between training camp, mini camp, and training camp, that's when I got my apartment lined up for me. And the cool thing was I had a teammate from college who got drafted as a fullback for Sean Jackson. So we were like, all right, we're going to be roommates and cool. And uh, so we got, we got there, we got to this, we did training camp in Eastern Washington. And then we went back to Seattle for the regular season. And then unfortunately my buddy got cut right on the last cut, like the last week going into the regular season, he got cut. So I ended up being, you know, having to take, cause we already signed the lease for the year. So to thank God I was an NFL player, so I can afford the the rent on my own. Um, but it was just unfortunate to lose, you know, get my teammate that was from college. You know, he had to go back home basically. But um, like I said, it was uh, that that time was you know just ready, getting me ready for the real world and getting ready for the NFL season. So then, skipping forward after you're all settled in Seattle, there for the year and a half, a little bit more than that, that you were there. Then you got traded to the Green Bay Packers. What was that like being a part of an official NFL trade? Did you know Green Bay was going to be the landing spot ahead of time? And did you want to be traded? Uh, no, I had no idea. I had no, no fruition. No, nobody told me. My agent didn't know. 
And the the conversation I had with uh, Mike Holmgren, who had took over as the head coach in 1999, we had our year uh, year end meeting um, as a team, and then the next day he started having meetings with individual individual one on one with us as players. And so I came in probably like on a Tuesday or Wednesday and, and sat down with him and talked. And he he definitely, you know, he he relayed the message that Amon he said I, I love the way you developed this season. You you learned the playbook. You you know, you had a rough go at it in the beginning, but you worked through it and you got better. He said, so now, you know, to me, I believe you give, you're going to be able to give Ricky Waters, a, a, you know, a challenge for the starting job come next season. And that's all I needed to hear. So I just need, you know, to know that I at least get a chance to do something, you know, and if I, you know, if I win, great. If I don't, you know, I know how to take a, lo- a loss. I've been through that. So it's like, great. I said, that's all. I said, thank you, coach. See you soon. You know, and then that was uh, January of 2000 and then january february uh, march april um you know i'm doing i'm doing training at the facility i've stayed in seattle got my daughter up there my girlfriend at that time and i'm going back and forth to the facility to work out and then um <clears throat> we went on a trip down to florida to visit um my girlfriend's mom she was living down there and then while i'm on that trip is my daughter's birthday and I get a call that's my dad saying, son, you're a Packer. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you see, I'm like, dad, you joking with me. He said, no, no, I would not mess with you about this. I would not do that. This is a terrible joke. He said, it's not a joke. You're a Packer. They bought to announce it on ESPN. He said, I was, and my dad watched it all the time. And sure enough, he goes, I turn, I go in the house. I say, all right, dad, I hang up the phone, go in the house turn to ESPN and sure enough they said uh, Trey Ringo is on there all mine green gets for, traded to, to the Green Bay Packers for a friend Vincent and a fifth round conditional pick and he puts the paper down NFL live show is over and I'm like I'm a Packer <laughs> I call my agent hey Joby I was like did you know this he said no I just found out too I'm like man this is how this works <laughs> i'm like okay i was like it just happens he said yeah he said did they say anything to you i'm like no i thought i was ready to go for this 2000 season as a seahawk i was you know i'm all geared up for that and now i gotta just adjust a little bit back to the midwest you know and then back to you know cold weather and all that fun stuff but new team so yeah i get here and the great thing was is great players here you know, not only great players, like on the field players, but great people. Um, William Henderson, Dorsey Levins, uh, Brett Favre, Leroy Butler, Gilbert Brown, those guys, Santana Dawson. Once the day I got here, they, they treat, they open, they open their doors, arms with, you know, open arms. And it was like I was drafted here. That's how it felt once I got traded here. It felt great. And the fit was perfect for me. Um, again, I just, my mindset was just work hard and just wait for my opportunity. And whatever they give me, you know, if I'm, which I came in, they say, you're going to, you know, return kicks like you did in Seattle and you're going to back up Dorsey Levins. I said, that's, I could do that. I said, that's no problem. (laughs) I like this guy. And not only, you know, before coming in, before I even met him as a person, but I knew I liked him. I mean, I liked him because he was a fellow running back. So we have, we have that relation, you know, we can, you know, relate on that level. And then, you know, he played at Notre Dame. I watched him in college and he played at Georgia Tech. So I, I knew of him. So it was pretty cool. Me as a sports fan, I'm like, man, I knew this dude. You know, he was on the Super Bowl team too. And he played college football just like I did at these schools, different schools, but same level. So it was like a lot of respect for him. And then once I met him, I was like, man, he's even a great dude in person. Uh, you know, he, he, he brought me in, took me under his wing and, you know, helped me out my, my first year here in Green Bay. And so 
you know, I see we just saw each other this past weekend. So we still talk like, you know, we haven't missed a date, haven't missed a beat. And it's players, it was players like him that helped my transition from uh, Green Bay to Seattle a little bit, a lot, but a lot, I say 100 percent uh, easier. So then you mentioned you did happen to mention great old number four, his name, Brett Favre. What was that like at that time at, after winning the 96 Super Bowl? You know, it's been a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre's established himself, obviously, as one of the greats. What was that like being around him just um, as a Packer? Like, what was that like just stepping into that and being around somebody who everybody knows is is like one of the gods? Yeah, it was, I mean, for all those players, you know, being in Packer fandom, which you guys are definitely well aware of, they were all, to you know, all gods and great players, um, Hall of Famers, a potential and uh, future Hall of Famer players. And so I knew this too, you know, I, I was a sports fan. I remember my sophomore year at Nebraska watching that Super Bowl at a friend, one of my teammates' house. And, you know, it's like, man, these dudes, you know, I knew Brett, I knew Will. Uh, Henderson I mean I knew of them because I watched them on the TV so I knew that whole roster and I didn't know no New England Patriots other than Teddy Blue I think was he even on the team then I'm not even sure if Teddy was even on the team he might have been um and so I think that was the only uh New England Patriot I knew but I knew all the Packers because I being in the Midwest we would get Packer games Denver games Bear games or Kansas City Chiefs games so we could get we got four you know professional teams tuning in you could tune in you know on regular tv you know back then so i knew them very well so now it's just me as a sportsman like man this is cool and i'm sitting here in a locker room that has dorsey levins i got leroy butler has brett has the grave digger gilbert brown santana Dotson, you know these guys craig newsom that played in the super bowl and they know how to get there they've done it twice you know they won one lost one so they know how to get there so it just for me to be around all of them, including Brett, was like, I got to bring my A game. You know, I got to make sure that once I get on the offensive side of the ball, um, beyond special teams, that I do my job and I do it great. I do it well um, and work and work hard to be that running back they expect me to be here. And, you know, at the time, I just came in as the backup, which I was fine, which I was 100% okay with because that's what I was told I needed to do. And it's like, all right, let's do it. But, you know, like I said, I, it was time to bring the best football that I could have in my life, you know, even though up until that moment it could have been at Nebraska or even my days in Seattle, but now it's like got to be a little bit better. You know, these guys are really good here. They did it <laughs> twice. They've been to the Super Bowl to the mountaintop twice. And so I got to make sure it's uh, right up there with them. So you do finally get the starting job um, and immediately see success. Uh, your first three seasons, thousand yard seasons, going into your 2003 season, which uh, statistically was one of your best seasons. What was different about that year where you took that jump from um, still over a thousand yards, but boom, now all of a sudden you're over 1800 yards. Like what, what was different? Was it just seeing the game differently, the playbook? Um, what was different about that year? It was a little bit of all that. Um, I would say between 03 or between 01 to the 03 and 04 season, um, we had Edgar Bennett, had come in as an assistant to our assistant running backs coach, Sylvester Crooms. And Sly was probably the best coach from Coach Osborne that I had. They were probably neck and neck because he gave it to you straight. He criticized you, but it was in a professional way to make sure you understand that he's helping you get better. Um, he didn't yell a whole lot, a lot. 
and he was straight to the point. It was no sugarcoating stuff, which I was accustomed to between my dad raising me, between the coaches I had. So I knew how to take that constructive criticism to get better. And then when Edgar came in, so you got a former player who just played, you know, he just retired and he was in both Super Bowls as well, but now he's coaching us. And so he's taking us through his eyes as he sees as a former player on either things that he either knew when he played or what he would have known and wish he, somebody had told him when he was playing. And so now he could do that with us. He could give us all the little pointers, all the little hacks, tips, things that we need to know as a running back group to get better and be the best, you know, from picking up blitzes, read, how to read a defense, how to read our O-linemen to when they get to their run fits. And that was the biggest thing they both did together. So Sylvester or Sly, we called them Sly and EB, they basically decided one year, I think it was the 03 season. It was before, it was actually part of the 02 going into the 03 year that, you know what, we're going to have some of our meetings during the week, Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday meetings we're going to go into the lineman room and meet with our old lineman and watch the plays, watch practices, watch our games together. So then we could break it down and to ask each other questions like, what are you thinking when we do 92 blast or 92 ISO? You know, me as a running back talking to Mike Flanagan, my, my center, Michael Rivera, my guard, Mike Wall, my other guard, my tackles, Mark Tauscher and Chad Clifton. What are y'all thinking? You know, what do y'all know? y'all going to do on your blocks, you know, where you trying to take your guy. Cause when I see your back like this, I'm going to go left or I'm going to go, I'm going to go right. Or I might just, you know, I might hit you in the back. Cause I'm just knowing it's short yardage. I'm going to just grind it out. And they're like, okay, then if you're thinking that, then I'm going to do this on this play. And then on another play, 96 power, we're going to do this, that, and the other. I'm like, that makes sense. So if you do that, just do it. And then I'll react off of you. And so we're having those conversations and then we're taking notes, writing it down. So then when it comes game time, we're not even thinking. There's no thinking involved. It's all boom. It's all relaxion, re- reaction. And it's milliseconds. And people, you know, we always get asked. I know I did a lot after every game. How'd you do that? How'd you know that block was going to go like that? And to make that cut, to make that big run, I'm like, well, we talked about it during the week. So we didn't have to, I didn't have to think about it. My, my lineman didn't have to think about where he had to get. He already knew where he had to get because he knew I was going to go to that point of the line of scrimmage to make that to make that cut to burst through that hole like that and they're like oh i'm like and so that's when the old three season that's what took us there where we set all type of records for rushing for a team and we set a lot of still records in the passing game too because the run game and the pass game complements each other when you do it right and we were potent we were potent offense even though you know we struggled on the defensive side of the ball to keep guys out of the end zone but the offense was still there and we were able to get into the playoffs that year, um, beating the Broncos and then going through the first round, second round. I mean, first round was against the Seahawks and then losing to the Eagles in the second round, which we should have won. You know, it was a tough game, tough call. Um, but it was just the way things go. But but that, that's, that was the reasons, main two reasons from my standpoint on how the run game got going um, along with Brett in the pass game. Yeah, that year was one – Every single, you know, every single, you know how diehard Packers fans are too. Obviously, being, we remember all those, all the ones that we didn't get there. You know? <laughs> yep. And then speaking off of kind of that tangent, wondering this as being a spectator, obviously, the rivalry between fan bases in Green Bay and Chicago is among no other in the league. What is that like being a part of the rivalry on the field? 
like do you guys feed off of that can you guys really tell that there's extra you know a little extra juice in the stadium that day well yeah we definitely realize that we know the fans are literally juiced up um on both sides it doesn't matter if it's a soldier field or lambo field we know the fans are juiced up um for our standpoint like between us it's like that much of animosity like to us it's work it's business we got to win this thing and it's a divisional game so that means we win a game in a division we win if we go undefeated in the division we win a division so then boom we're already in the playoffs so that's how we're looking at it we're not looking at oh man brian i hate you brian or lacker i despise you i want to <laughs> go i want to go do something to you. I'm going to TP your house, you know, it's like, nah. <laughs> I'm like, bro, you know, that's the last thing is on our mind, you know, is then that, but that's the funny part is the fan part of it. It's like, man, these fans are so passionate on both sides where they, I mean, they literally hate each other and they're not the ones hitting each other. We're the <laughs> ones hitting each other. <laughs> the fans are, you know, they're sitting next to each other in the stands they're booing us or they're booing the other team, but they're not booing the fan. They might be booing the fan next to them, you know, who knows? <laughs> but to us, it was like, it, it, it wasn't even a, a thing in our mind. We just like, look, we got to beat these guys to make sure we get playoff position. Uh, we win the division. That's how we looked at it. It was no personal vendettas against one another. You know, when we go to Lambeau, we're going to do this to you. Or when we come to Chicago, we're going we gonna, to, like I said, TP Brian Urlacher or Lance Briggs' house. No, nah, that was the last thing. <laughs> so we, that was something that was, it was entertaining for us to see how, how passionate, you know, and we loved it, how passionate the fans are for Packer side and then obviously for Bear side. And the, this, the, the, the things, you know, the, they had songs, you know, the Bear Seal Suck song. It's like, that is hilarious <laughs> to go to the length to write a song on how much you hate another fan base or a team you don't like them you really don't like them <laughs> you know so it's just it's just fun it's just really for us it's fun as players because even today you know i think now the biggest rivalry is probably the vikings and the packers and and it's the same thing it was like more business than than, than it was for the fan but we know the fans you know to us like i said it does give us a little bit of extra to go out and try to win that game but overall, it's more like, you know, what we need to do to win to get to the playoffs. Um, but from the fan base, it does. It, I know as, as players, even the guys today, I'm pretty sure it gives a little, they get a little smile because they see fans walking to the stadium. Oh, you suck, Aaron. Aaron Jones, you're not going to do that. You know, it's like, come on. I got that same stuff. It was like, because I, I would run into a Bears fan. Like, I've been, like, my wife's from Chicago. When we go down there, we could be at a restaurant eating or walking to the movie theater or something. And I'll see. And I see a Bear, Bears fan that uh that knows me and recognizes me, and he's like, "Amon, I know you're Amon Green. I, I hated you so much, but I had to respect you at the same time. The you ran that ball so good against. Why'd you run against? Why you run against our Bears like that? That was just not right. I'm like, look, it was business. It was business. It wasn't personal. You know, I had that was my job. I had to do that. You know, even if I was a Bear, I would have ran hard against the Packers. It's my job." I said, I couldn't have a job that I did if I didn't do what I did. And they're like, I respect that, but I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I got to hate you because I'm a Bears fan. I'm like, I respect that. You are a Bears. You should hate me. I yeah. did my job. You know, I did my job. So good day. Give you that. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Yeah, I guess looking kind of at, I mean, at, I guess at your NFL career as a whole, I mean, most, most of it was spent in Green Bay. Um, kind of a similar question to when your college time, what was your most memorable game 
as probably as a Packer, um, just because that's where you saw most of your success. And I kind of mm-hmm. I wrote a little note in one that I mean I, I feel like I remember tapping into this memory myself. Your uh, December twenty eighth game against Denver, uh, two r- franchise records, two hundred eighteen yards, and your ninety eight yard touchdown, both still records for the Packers mm-hmm. today. Um, is that one of your most memorable games? I mean, I guess if you want to talk about that one or maybe if another one stands out to you as well. Um, no, that's one for sure. Um, it stands out for a couple of reasons. One, that it was something that my sprint coach that I mentioned to you when I trained for my combine way back in 1998. And so my sprint coach uh, name is our, is uh, Frank Baskerville. And when I got out to California and I started training with him in January, right after the Rose or Orange Bowl that we beat uh, the Tennessee uh, Volunteers, that week, next week, I'm out in California. I'm, I'm in Orange County, California. Um, weather's nice, a um, little overcast in the morning. And then by noon, the, the sun breaks the clouds, clouds up and then the sunny skies. And so we're training for the, you know, for the 40. So we're doing sprint training, working on my start, working on my arm placement, my leg placement, just the technical side of it, real technical. And I was used to that, but because I ran a uh, high school track, so I was definitely used to the technical um, verbiage um, that going through the movements and stuff like that. And so he would always say, you know, working from that day forward, I got there to every day after that, he was always talk about the fastest people on the planet, not just in football. He would talk about Carl Lewis. He would talk about Florence Griffin Joyner, um, Jesse Owens and what they had, you know, what, how they were built, you know, how tall they were, how much muscle mass they had. He would break it down to the science of, you know, Jesse Owens. He was five, eight and his body fat was 3% and this, his fast switch muscles was this, that, and the other. And I'll just be like sitting there be like, this is cool. I was like, I never heard a coach talk like this. I'm like, I guess this is this how combine training coaches work. You know, they get real scientific. I'm like, cool. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm ingesting this. I'm processing it. But then he would see, he would get to Bo Jackson. He would get to Marcus Allen, then the football players. And he would be like, you know, Bo Jackson, you know, he had that muscle, you know, he had the quickest step. And then once he got the full top end speed after about three steps, he could do this, you know, he could bam, 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 bam. He could, you know, you know, punch out a, a one, four, one, three, oh, 10 yard dash. And that would get him to run a one, a four, one, five. And he would break it down. I'm like, he's like, Amar, you're going to be the next one to do it. Mark my words. You're going to be the next one that busts out 90 yard runs. You're going to have, you know, plenty of them because you have the capability physically, you know, bar an injury, you'll be able to do it. Because your your first step is just like Bo Jackson, just like Carl Lewis. Da, 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 da. I'm like, I'm like listening to. Him, I'm like, man, this is he knows his stuff. I'm like, that's like, I'm excited. I hope I can be that guy. I'm like, sweet, I want to be that, you know, be to be that guy. So then fast forward to that game, and so boom, that happens. You know, it's like, all right, that's the first conversation. As soon as I cross the goal line, after the big run, I'm like, I'm hearing Frank in my head. I, I told you you're going to do it. I knew it, you know, and, and I got pretty, I, I remember it was either that night or the next day, got a phone call from him. He's like, yo, <laughs> I told you, he said, I've been telling you since 1998, da, 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 da. And, you know, it's 2003. So he was excited, you know, so that was one moment from that game, you know, obviously why that game was important. And then the other side of it was just the, something I always loved about football is the team dynamic and so if you watch that play and i know it's on youtube you could google it um 
everybody literally did their job to perfection. You know, the linemen, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a play that we had and it was a short yardage play because we were on our two yard line. So we knew we couldn't take a safety. We had to push the ball forward, but it was a mixed direction play. And so I took my step starting left, but then my second step came back right and my fullback went left. So it was making the linebackers go to, you know, opposite of, of me. So that was the misdirection. So, but I came back with the ball within, you know, right side of the offensive line. And then what the right side of the offensive line does, there's, there's um, a guard and a tackle, or it's a center, then guard and tackle, but then an extra tight end. So it's in the center and guard and tackle is a double team. And then that's, or the center and the guard is a double team. And then the, the, the tackle and that fourth alignment, which he subbed in as a tight end, but it's an actual alignment named Kevin Barry, his U71 package. And the tackle and him would double team the other defensive end or five fifth uh, five technique there on the edge and so the whole right side of the line just got caved down was boom and this hole opened up where it was nobody there all i had to do was run, run the db i think it was a corner and a safety and i just told myself don't get caught don't look behind don't don't look behind me just run, keep running forward till you get to the end zone and Everybody blocked guys downfield. You know, Bobo did his job and just watching that film right at the end, I could see Brett running around cheering and trying to give high fives to the referee, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and the referee was like, no, 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 I can't do that. Basically, I can't, I can't give you a high five for, for a mile scoring type thing. But it was like, it was just a full team effort. I mean, I saw that when I watched the film the next day, it was like everybody doing their job. That's why that play, you know, beyond what I had to do, I just had to run. That was the easiest job was just running to the um, end zone. Everybody else had the job and they did it. So then you had a brief little stint in Houston for two years. Then you came back with your second stint being your last year with mm -hmm. Green Bay. What was it like? just the difference in camaraderie with the team, just the leadership. Now the second time you're coming back, having another future Hall of Fame quarterback at the helm in Aaron Rodgers at that point, being that his like was his first year basically starting and leading mm -hmm. the helm. What was that like, the difference between the two? Um, it wasn't much difference. I say the subtle difference, obviously, between Brad and Aaron. Aaron is just in his literally officially second year starting, 08 and then 09. Um, so he wasn't as like Brett, you know, obviously been in, when I got to Green Bay, he was in his 10th season and obviously he was a little bit more vocal. He didn't talk a lot, but he, he spoke, you know, if it was motivating or telling us that what we need to do in practice to get things right, or, you know, teaching me, showing me something about reading a, a blitz or a coverage. And then Aaron, he was obviously a little bit less vocal because he was still young. He was still getting into his leadership role, but he did a good job for what he could do. And the years under his belt, which was at that time, only four years under his belt, he could still, cause I, you know, I come in, I'm a veteran, you know, but I had the mindset, it don't matter who and how many years you have, you're my teammate. I, I got a ton of respect for you, um, no matter the position. And I'm here to help you win. You know, that's, I'm here to support. So meeting him and knowing, I even knew then when we drafted him in 05, I'm like, he's going to be the next best one. I was like, this, this, this organization is going to be really fortunate to have back-to-back -back Hall of Fame quarterback. I, I called it out right away to myself um, once we watched the draft because he, you know, he, if you watch that draft, he pretty, he pretty much went through the same thing I did. And obviously it was still first round, 
you know, people say, oh, he still got drafted first round, but he was projected, I believe, top 10 or top 15. And as they say, and how everything went, he got drafted, you know, 24th. He slipped to the 24th pick, still was first round, which, you know, everybody's like, you know, oh, he still got, but when you're told something and something else happens, trust me, that that's irritating. That, oh, that, yeah. that, 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 that makes you not happy. And so I knew right away from that standpoint, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder, just like I did. And he's going to come in here ready to play ball. I mean, obviously he's going to be ready to learn. He's going to sit there and watch what Brett does and maybe mimic it or find out what pieces work for him to use in his game. And then he's going to develop, he's going to grow. And the one thing, once I got been a pro at that time, you know, I'm in 2005, I'm in my eighth year at that time. And I'm like understanding the process of a quarterback is way different than a running back. You know, we can get adjusted to being a running back at the NFL level and the college level a lot faster than any other. Some of the positions out there quarterback has to, has to marinate. They have to sit and watch a pro in front of them because to get thrown to the dogs, you know, you got defensive coordinators that are creative. You got these defensive backs, linebackers, these defenses that know how to disguise the defense. And you're telling me you're going to throw a guy in the mix, fresh out of college, that's trying to know 20 different things at one time to throw a ball or to make a decision to make it a new, you know, adjust the play to try to, you know, beat a defense. So that's very a lot to ask for. A, a true quarterback, even if he was all American, Peyton Manning, you know, he had 28 touchdowns, 28 interceptions his rookie yep. year. So if people think about that, it's like any quarterback that gets time to kind of marinate for two to three or four years, I'll say three to four years is the prime. And that's what Aaron had. He had four years from 05 to 08 to really sit back, you know, and you see you hear sometimes it was mixed emotions between the both of them. But I think overall it was a good friendship and also a good teammate um, um, combination there that they did, they fed off each other. You know, they're competitors, you know, not one wants to be the, the backup, but eventually, you know, where, you know, Brett ended up retiring or not retiring, everything went down, but now the reins were given to Aaron. And so he was ready. And at that time, and it was prime because he had those years to sit back and not have the pressure of trying to change, you know, the organization be the life savior as you hear with first round draft pick quarterbacks while you're here to save the program is like he's not gonna have a good that's too much pressure you can't put that pressure on a kid like that coming out of college playing quarterback you know even if they're a great athlete that's still a lot of pressure so he didn't have that going into his third fourth year and then he can just be the athlete that he was the guy that was drafted out of cal berkeley you know through his junior college and all that um through butte college so and I knew, like I said, from that chip on the show, I'm like, he, he's going to do some things. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. He's going to probably get maybe one, maybe two Super Bowls, but he's going to be a guy that is highly respected quarterback, a threat to do damage to defensive backfields because he's going to be taught and he's going to be, he's, he's going to tune in as a player. And then between Coach Sherman, his rookie year and uh, second year, and then he had Mike McCarthy come in. And that kind of brought him to the level he's at because Mike McCarthy first couple years as a head coach and then his coaching staff developed Aaron, helped develop, helped Aaron's development as a NFL quarterback. It was huge because the way they, the things they put in his head. So he knows that, uh, you know, this is what you need to know as a quarterback. You need to read the covers like this. You need to do things that, uh, that help you stay above the ratio of touchdowns to interceptions, you know, 
It's good. It's okay to take a sack. It's okay to throw the ball out of bounds. You throw it out of bounds, you take a set, we still have the ball. Like those little little tips like that to kind of let the quarterback know that taking a sack ain't all bad. You know, you still have the ball. As long as you hold on to it, it's third down and it's long, but now we have another down to let we live to the next play. And that's what Coach McCarthy would say all the time. Live to the next play. Throw it out of bounds or take the sack. We got another couple. If it's first down, we have second and third down to get a first down. So that's all we need to focus on and get the ball down the field. Eventually, we'll score. Um, but have that in your mindset every place. So you're not trying to force the ball into you know certain coverages, force the ball to a receiver where you're not making mistakes. I guess that kind of ties perfect perfectly into my next question, talking about uh, Sherman and McCarthy. You started your career in Green Bay with Mike Sherman as head coach and ended with McCarthy. Is the transition between head coaches a stressful process, or is it really business as usual for the players? Uh, I say it depends on the player uh, in terms of business as usual or stressful. Uh, I say for me personally, it was more. I say after it happened in Seattle with my with Dennis Erickson and Mike Homer coming in, it was more like uh, it was a tough thing, a little bit of tough because Mike Homer had or me, Sherman had brought me over from Seattle. But after that, it was just more, you know what, this is the way of this business. It happens. Um, but now let's get ready for the next coaching staff to come in. And it was just a little adjustment there, you know, because every coach does things differently. You know, they start meetings at a certain time, different from the other coach, or they might move practice up, down, you know, in the day or later in the day or meetings are longer or there are no meetings, you know, at certain times of the week. So it was just those little adjustments for everybody in the season, um, in the 06 season. And we knew that, I knew as a pro that any team that has a new coaching staff, I mean, that might not be a good year <laughs> because it's just adjustments all around. And we did, we had an okay year. I think we went nine, we went eight and eight that year. So I was like, you know what? That's not bad to have a first year coaching staff and we win half of our games. Um, I'm okay with that. Cause then now we could go nine and seven, 10 and six the following year, which we, which they did. I believe they went nine and seven, even though I wasn't there. And then 09, you know, obviously I came back and we made that big run when I got back in uh, midseason and we lose to the Cardinals and uh, what, 52 to 56. Yeah. The, the showdown in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. The showdown in the desert. I was on that field, man. That I was just sitting there like, this is crazy. <laughs> I can't believe we're scoring points like this. I haven't seen this since college. I was like amazed. And also it was just, you know, you know, obviously disappointing. Um, Cause that, that was that I knew potentially that might be my last NFL game, which it was, but I knew then what I, what everybody found out the previous, the next year is that I say, this team's going to win the Super Bowl. I came in the locker room. I saw every guy in that locker room, not holding their head down. They weren't even disappointed. They just like, we know what to do next year. We've been this far. If we, if it is what it takes to get back to where we need to get back to next year, we're going to win the Super Bowl. I could see that look in everybody's faces. And I knew it as a player because I played that game. And I'm like, okay, I see what we got to do. You know, it's like no problem. And then sure enough, the 22 season was the season that the Packers won the Super Bowl. Yeah, and then my, uh, kind of one of my last uh, kind of winding down here, one of the last football questions for you. As a four-time Pro Bowl selection, what was the Pro Bowl like back then compared to what it appears to be today where it's a lot less contact, more about fun, where – Back then, it was everybody still wants to hit each other hard. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a, it was a game. As a spectator, it was more fun to watch. Honestly, back then too. Yeah, um, I just I can't even. I don't think I even watched the game in the last five years. I mean, because and then it not being a Hawaii too was a big deal. 
Um, because obviously it's Hawaii. Who does not want to go to Hawaii? I mean, some people that don't. I mean, I'll be honest, but I wanted to go to Hawaii, and for those reasons, you know, because obviously the Pro Bowl is voted on by your by your teammate. Well, not teammates. Um, your peers. So guys that you played against that were defensive players, and so that means you earned a lot of respect if you made it there, and then you even more respect when you go, you get um, voted the All Pro. That was just as important. That's actually a little bit more more prestige than the Pro Pro Bowl is here. All Pro is like up here, and then and then the Hall of Fame is you know the big one too for a overall career. And so yeah, when it stopped for one going to Hawaii, I thought all right, you know I see the NFL they're trying to, you know I guess make the experience kind of for other cities like they, I think they moved to Miami with it and then Tampa area one year and now I'm like I don't even know where it is now to be honest um, no idea I couldn't tell then, you <laughs> right and then the when they took and then the gameplay started to change I'm like what am I watching right now I'm like am I watching tag football <laughs> really in shoulder pads and helmets and thigh pads and knee pads like come on man I was like, I can't watch it. I can't. This is, it was just, it was just not good. But I mean, I know and I understand the side of, you know, protecting the players and changing rules for the physical side of it. Cause there is side effects, you know, from as we know now. Um, and, and I knew as a player, I was like, I know this ain't right. Bashing my head into somebody or my body into something or somebody over time that afterwards, my body is going to be banged up. I, I knew that going in, but obviously I didn't have the scientific data as we know now. Um, but it still was, you know, something that I grew up watching. Now I was like, there's no entertainment value, but it is what it is. You know, it's like, oh man. I was like, God. I say the, the some of the, what's the, like the, the extracurricular games are kind of funny. They're kind of fun to watch. The throwing, like, because we did that when I was there, like the quarterback competition. Yeah. Well, they got dodgeball and stuff like that yeah, now, too. Stupid now. <laughs> I would have did that, though. I would be like, yeah. hey, because I'm, I play baseball. I could throw some heat at the head. Even though that, might be, <laughs> that might be an illegal throw. You know, taking out. I'm like, look, you just, I just can't help it. I hit guys in the head when I play dodgeball, which is true. I can't. I don't know if it's just a baseball thing or what, but I'm a, I'm dead eye, head, <laughs> head shot. And it's it, not just the esports thing, baby. All right, man. So then our last football question here before we kind of jump into after your career playing football, being the Packers all-time leading rusher, do you think your record will forever stand or do you think that it'll get broken? Um, Honestly, I don't know. I mean – do I want it to stand for the forever? Yeah, I would. Um, but I know I'm sport, I'm a sports guy. Um, records are made to be broken. You know, somebody's gonna come along one day. You know, as of right now, Aaron Jones is that guy, and if he stays healthy, he has the, you know, has, he has the opportunity. AJ Dillon right behind him, he has the opportunity. Um, so I, I love that I still have the record. I could call myself. I do. Uh, I do shout outs or I do cameos, and I say, "Hey, I'm the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher," which I am. And and I'm a hold. You know, as long as I, if I can hold, you not not if, but obviously can hold on to it as long as possible. Yes, I, I do. But I, like I said, I'm a I'm a I'm a gamer. I play video games. I play I play traditional sports. Hey, you know, everybody's record gets broken at some point in time, and and to me is it'll be a I'll be an honor. To basically hand the torch off to whoever that may be. It was the same like for Jim Taylor when I got a chance, I broke his record and 
I had met him before that, but then afterwards too, you know, he gave me a big hug, handshake, because he knew how hard that takes, you know, to rush for the, the yard. It was like 8,300 and some change. And for me to get a little bit above that, which, you know, I wish I could have got it to 10,000, 10, put it a little further out there for the young bucks to try to go get. Um, it's a great effort. I mean, we know as football players at every position what it takes to do your job at the top level, at the best. So it's a lot of respect, you know, given to those players that set these records and records that are that are broken and some that probably never be touched. Um, like uh, Emmett Smith, he has the career all-time leading at 19,000. I'm like, hey, there, there's no running back who will ever see <laughs> 19,000 rushing yards in the career. Well, I mean, I won't say that, but still, it's going to be a long time. I don't know if I'm going to ever see that myself, mm-hmm. you know, as a human being. Yeah, especially with the pass-heavy league of today, I feel like yes, it's even harder. Yeah. And then that your answer to that just sparked another question that I had here. You being on the team, getting to see Rodgers and Devontae Adams' early connection, early in – early in, oh, never mind. Never mind. Do you, I was going to say, do you, do you think the Packers are Super Bowl contenders this year? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, not just offensively, but it's the defense. I mean, I know offense is going to put up points. Offense is going to do what it's doing. And sometimes the offense can get shut down, which we have seen over the last uh, few games or this, this season, but we saw last season too. Um, but even though I'm an offensive player, as they say, offense wins games, defense wins championships. That is a true bona fide statement. If you got a defense that can then t- turn on a switch at any point in the game and say, you know what, we're not going to let you score. That's what it does. And that's what I'm seeing here with this uh, Bears or not the, uh, the Packers defense right now. You got everybody at all positions defensively, t- defensive tackles, linebackers, DNs, uh, corner safeties, all rallying to the ball, making plays, you know, taking advantage of, of, of other teams' mistakes. I said, if a defense can do the, that one thing, take advantage of another team's mistakes, then that sets you up for a road of success, especially now during this part of the season, Thanksgiving just passed, we're officially in the middle of playoff push time. So teams are right now either are very comfortable where they are and, and they're on cruise control, or they're panicking like, hey, we got to win these next two games to even have a chance to be in the divisional round playoffs or to be in a wild card weekend. Those, those teams know who they are. They have to win the next three weeks of football. And maybe you count even four, you know, a month or two, you know, and then another weekend into January now because it's 17 weeks. So you got a lot of football left. And if you don't flip it around now, you know, if you lose the next two games, you might as well – you're playing for pride then you're not playing for a playoff position which pride to me is something important too because i've been in that position you know as a in a, on an nfl team it's like regardless okay we're not going to playoffs but you know what i get to punch somebody and give them a black eye going to the party <laughs> <laughs> i had a coach i had a coach refer to that you know that, okay we're not going to playoffs but hey let's give somebody a black eye going to the party i'm like i get that nobody wants to go to a party with a black eye you know <laughs> you like beat up who punched you in the face? Oh, the Packers did because we lost last week, you know, going into the playoff. Let's do that, coach. I like that mentality. <laughs> you know what? We're not going to the party. We're going to make it. You're going to mess off, step on your tuxedo and step on your nice, clean shoes, beat y'all up before y'all go on to the dance before we, <laughs> since we can't go. So, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, just one of those things. One fun thing right there. 
Yeah, and then tra- uh, transitioning into life after football, um, do you have any involvement still with the Packers organization or even just with the city of Green Bay? Um, kind of both. Um, I do a lot of the uh, outside events with former players around the community um, and do a part with uh, Tony Fisher, one of my old teammates. He works there with the Packers and uh, Kathy Dewar in the community outreach program, but mostly Tony. He helps me out a lot. Um, he's my he's a kid that I brought in under my wing. He was uh, a running back from Notre Dame, along with Najee Tavon Davenport from the University of Miami um, that got drafted to Green Bay in 02, which was my third year. And I'm the veteran running back. And I just took them two guys under my wing. I mean, I had been in the situation with Ricky Waters in Seattle, which off the field, great guy. But in the locker room, it was a little different. Um, it wasn't that I didn't feel that welcoming type of feeling. Um, I think he he knew he's like I remember he commented to some of, some of my old teammates, "Hey, my mom's good." You know, <laughs> I had to I had to try to keep my job. You know, he was coming for me. You know, it wasn't like I you know he knew it wasn't it, it wasn't personal. But you know, at that time, you got a young buck that can run can run the ball. Your your job is threatened, and he felt that. And so once he said it like that, I kind of get it. You know, and for me. It wasn't that. I was like, I'm a competitor. You know what? If I get beat out and I gave it my all, that means that person deserves it. I'm not going to be mad at him. But you know what? I got his back, though. He beat me out. I'm the backup. I'm going to support him, even if he doesn't expect it, expect me to do that. And But also, I knew that and then you get some rookies that are coming in. I got to help them learn this game. Because if I don't and I get hurt, I don't want the the offensive production to slump down, to slow down. I want the, I want everything to keep moving like a machine. So if I teach them what I know and show them what I know, along with the coaching staff that's going to coach them up in Sylvester and uh, Edgar Bennett, these guys are going to be very comfortable and ready to go. You know, kind of like what Lawrence Phillips did with me at Nebraska. He took me under my wing, and right away, you know, he's like, "Freshman, everything you do, I you gonna everything I do, you're gonna do." Everything in the weight room, you're going to lift with me. When we're working out, conditioning, running on the on the turf, running stadiums there, you're going to be right next to me. I'm like, let's go. You know, let's get it. And so I brought that mentality, you know, to the league. And I had not, I had two guys. I had Najee and Fish. And I said, hey, this is how we do it here. You and I, if you got any questions, just ask. Don't be afraid to ask me. Let me know. I'll let you know everything you need to know to be, you know, to help out this offense and help this team out because they had to play special teams too. And I told them that. I said, look. I'm the starting right now, but anytime I could get hurt. Um, but until that time, um, you're going to have to be like, play some special teams and you got to go out there and play it, not just go out there because you have to be out there, make some plays, do things that you know that's going to keep the uh, the coaches interested in you playing because eventually they'll see that, oh, you're giving 100% effort on special teams where a lot of people does not don't want to be. Then you know what? Oh, he's a running back. Let's you know give him some time on the on the ball. Look, when Amon needs a break, we could throw fish in. Amon needs a break, we could throw Najee in. Stuff like that. So do that. And I I told him, man, they took it and they and they and they loved it and it helped them with their careers too. Awesome. And then my my last question for you before I throw it over to Austin here. Um, if you had any advice to give to a young athlete after the years of uh starting starting young, making it through a professional career, what would your advice be to a young athlete with the goal set of making it to the professional level? Um, i say, one, don't trash talk. Because <laughs> one day somebody will kick your butt 
So be humble. Be confident, but be humble. Um, work hard because hard work is going to get you a lot of places. And uh, hold yourself accountable uh, for the good stuff and the bad stuff because you're going to, you know, not nobody's perfect. Uh, you're going to make mistakes. So don't beat yourself to, up too much on the mistakes. But then also don't don't put your up you don't don't put yourself up too high when you have your successes. Stay humble, stay kind of consistent, and uh, and just and then help the people around you because if you're playing football, it's a hundred percent team sport. Um, I'm not saying the other sports aren't like baseball, like basketball, like uh, softball, um, track too. That could be a team sport. I mean, even though it's some individual events, but there's the relay team. When you do, and then obviously what I'm doing now here, uh, esports, most of the games are team related, three on three, four on four, five on five, six on six. You know, always question how, you know, did I do enough to win? Did I do enough to help this team win? What did I do to help the team do this? You know, good, bad, or other. And don't ever point the finger. If you do, you're pointing it at yourself. What did I, what did I need to do to get better? Not my teammate, because, you know, they're working hard. They may not know what you know, or they may know what you know, but just had a bad day. Um, so you guys got to realize that. And like I said, be humble and be confident and then be, be, be selfless, be ready to help out any aspect of the team that, you, you know, coach might say, Hey, you know, Hey, John, Hey, Colin, I need you to do this. You know, Austin, I need you to do that. And be like, yeah, coach, what is it? You know, I don't understand it, but I'll figure it out. You tell me what to do and I'll get it. I'll try to get it done. You know, that's, that's the type of teamwork. Um, people need 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 basically, and it doesn't matter where. And so that's what I would tell. You know, that's what I've told young athletes is to do that. You have that um, game plan, or you have that mindset. Whatever you do, not just sports. Whatever you do, you'll be successful. Because it's about being humble. You know, taking criticism in the right way, and then seeing where you fit in and how you can help wherever you go to be better, basically. And then my last two questions for you here. What is it like being a head coach of an esports team, especially now that esports has kind of grown to where there is college competitions back and forth between each other with lots of money on the line for some of these right. tournaments and stuff? What is that like? It's a it's a great feeling, man. I mean, it's something that once I got the caught wind of, you know, esports organizations and coaches. Oh being recruited or teams needing coaches. Once I caught wind of that, I'm like, this could be, you know, not saying I could do it one day. I was hoping maybe, but more like, oh, that's cool. They need that because I knew esports, I knew video games before it became, I say this, I knew video games before it became esports. Cause it used to just be video games back in the eighties and the seventies. And video games was just, I got a gift, you know, or kids get a gift from their mom and dad. And then they go to their bedroom, they hook the console up or go, go hook the PC up and they're sitting there playing by themselves or the dad might play for a little bit. The mom might come play a little bit and then that's it. But there's no actual coaching going on. There's no structure. And so that's where the kids kind of become individualistic and where they think they know everything. And then also they get to the point where they're raging, they're mad, they're blaming the game, they're blaming the lag, they're blaming all this stuff that has nothing to do with the game. I mean, maybe it does, but it doesn't have nothing to do with you winning or losing. 
I mean, you're trying to blame it. Oh, I lost because of the lag. I lost because that player did this. He he he's a hack or he's an aimbot. Is whatever. It's like, <laughs> look, at the end of the day, you lost. So my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Instead of complaining and pointing a finger at other things that might have been the problem. Now I can say at least every now and then there might be a computer lag. It might be something wrong with the system, but outside of that, there's nothing else other than you knowing what you need to know about the game. That means everything about the game that you need to know about to win. So that's something you got to do. You know, I could coach you to that area, but then you got to actually initiate practicing your aiming, practicing your mechanics, practicing, you know, talking to your teammates and devising a strategy to win. That's all I could. I'm going to lead you to water, but then you got to drink from it. Because if you want to say you want to win a national title, you want to get to the playoffs, you want to be a team captain, you want to win these games, this is the work you got to do to get there. And so, um, you know, that's things, you know, I bring up to my teammate, to my players every day when we're sitting in here. And then the last uh, question here, I don't know if this is a rumor or not, but there was a story some years back when you were in Green Bay about some dogs getting into your house and you were playing some video games. Is that true? And can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, actually, I haven't heard. I haven't been asked that in a while now. Um, so, yeah, one day I was down in the basement where I, that's my a man cave. That's my gaming, my stream area, everything. And I'm sitting there. I can't remember. I think it was either it was either Madden or Halo. I'm doing one or the other, maybe Call of Duty. And I'm playing. And I had, you know, I had my own dogs at that time. I had a husky named uh, Nanook and I had a, a bull, a bully named uh, Prime. I named him after Optimus Prime and then Snoop um, named after Snoop Dogg, one of my favorite rappers. So I had three dogs at the time and they were coming in from the doggy door playing around. You see, you could hear all these paws. You know, they're knocking, it seemed like they're knocking down the, the whole living room and the kitchen chairs and they're, not, they're just messing around. And so I heard that noise and then, but then I heard this continuous barking. Like, they're barking at, I'm like, usually the barking doesn't last that long. So I'm like, let me go upstairs and check what's going on. Let me go up here and see what's it. Is. So I pause the game or come out the game. I walk upstairs. And it's quiet. Now it's quiet. I, I get upstairs and my, my dogs might have heard me walk up. So they got quiet. And I'm walking around the kitchen and I hear, you know, some some dog, a dog, you know, paw the claws and scraping on the ground. And I'm like, that's not one of my dogs. I, I could tell by the sound. I'm like, OK, this is a different dog. And I kind of look around the counter and I see this. Uh, I think it was a lab, uh, older lab black it had a little gray beard kind of like my beard <laughs> and i'm like okay that's not my dog <laughs> <laughs> and then here come my two dogs they look at me like daddy look at this dude he in our house and, you know they're all like walking around all crazy and bark oh yeah and i was like hey shh, go sit over there i set the dogs down you know relax them then the dog can kind of i just you know i know how to deal with animals you know dogs and animals and so I kind of wait. I just stood there and let him do his sniff thing, you know, check me out. And then, you know, I put my hand out towards him kind of so he could sniff my hand too. And then once I did that, then I kind of went in for the first pet. And once I got to that, I was like, all right, this kid, he's he's good. But I'm like, where are you from? Like, what's, <laughs> who, who you belong to? So I looked on his collar and thank God it was it had the address on there um, where his uh, family was. And so, and I looked at that. It wasn't far from my, it was, I say driving wise, it wasn't far but he had walked 
a long ways from home, at least six miles wow. from his house. And so driving six miles is nothing. You know, that's five minutes, maybe 10 if that. But a walk, a six mile walk, that's like three, four hours. <laughs> yeah, it might, or 30 minutes, right? It, 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 it's more than, an, I'll say at least more than an hour for walking, a dog walking and no telling like if he stopped here and stopped yeah. there. And, to, and the other thing, he didn't get hit by a car. You know, it's like, this is, and it was middle, it was summertime too. So I know people are out driving. So good. I said, that was the first thing. It's like, okay, he, this kid, this dog didn't get hit by a car. Um, That's great. Got his address. That's great. So once my wife got home, I told her, just relax, you know, don't freak out. We got another dog in the house. <laughs> and she was like, where, where did he come from? I'm like, I haven't, I said, this is his address. So he came from way over there. She was like, what? So we got him. Um, I had to coax him up into our truck and put him in the backseat. And we drove over there and the owners were gone. I think, I think this, they were just at work. Um, but on their like garage door pad, I think they had their phone number somewhere and i guess this had had happened before so i looked on the garage thing got the number called it and said hey um you know my name's Amon. your dog wandered into our backyard and through our doggy door into our house and just want to know when you you know when you're going to be home because we have your dog and you know so they said oh we're not you know we're at home or we're at work right now you know i came here with the mom or the dad or the husband or wife or whatever but they said yeah just um the garage code is like right to where if you saw the phone number is right next to that. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I just punched in the garage code, the garage door open. And they said, the door is still open. You can open it and you just let them in and, and then shut the door behind them. I'm like, Oh, okay, great. So I did that. And then they, they came back over the next day to um, say, thank you. And they did, I got a, you know, there was a reporter came over and got interviewed about it too. <laughs> and it was just, it was just, you know, the same story I just told you guys that, and I'm sitting down there playing Call of Duty, and here comes I hear more than three dogs and different sounds. And I came upstairs and somebody else a total different dog. I'm like, oh, interesting. <laughs> All right, let me let me be careful and make sure I don't get you know bitten. But he was cool. He was a good you know older dog. I could tell by it. Once I saw the gray hair, I'm like, okay, he's he's a little older, so he's gonna not be as aggressive. Maybe you know being in an un, un, unfamiliar place. Yeah, my best friend actually told me to bring that up because he remembered hearing about it back in the, a couple of years ago. And he's just like, mm-hmm. you got to find out if that's true or not. So I was yeah. like, all right. It is true. It was, I was just like, okay, just chill. I just chilled out, let the uh, dog sniff me, and he was good. And it was like, all right, we just got to get you back home, buddy. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's um, all I had. I'll if you had any other questions for Amon Austin. No, I did not. Awesome. Uh, Great question, guys. I love them all. Good good question. Uh, Yeah, it was a pleasure sitting, being able to chat with you again. It was a very surreal moment. (laughs) Being able to chat with one of our, uh, somebody that we we used to admire and idolize on the TV screen as kids. Right. um, Yeah, awesome to see you again what you're doing esports again being two gamers it's like oh he's a big gamer too it's like it's just one of those yeah. things where you keep digging farther and farther and it's like oh this dude just keeps getting better and better so <laughs> um, great so uh i'll stay real quick where you can find me so i stream on twitch at amon green tv and then i'm on instagram and twitter at amon green 30 so real easy to remember you can follow me on instagram and twitter there and then um i do a podcast called amon green's gamers lounge podcast 
And that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you download them. And we record every Wednesday. So we just recorded today. So it'll be up later tonight or tomorrow. And then another podcast, I do something similar to this, a football podcast with Mike Wall. And we talk Packer football. We break it down. So we do, we shoot that every, we record that every Monday um, afternoon and or right at noon. And then it goes up. I just put it up. I'm, I just put it up today. I'm just acting kind of funny. So we do, I do those two podcasts. So yeah, tune in to both and also with the gamers i just got on tiktok trying to figure all that out <laughs> i'm on tiktok now too so uh agg lot gamers lounge is how you find me on uh on uh, tiktok so yes whatever oh that's where you can find me then reach out dm me whatever follow like retweet that'd be great <laughs> well thank you so much for your time Iman. it was a pleasure to have you on and we hope you have a great rest of the year hey thanks to thanks for having me on austin colin i appreciate you Thank you.